The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there, there's spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch Top Gun. Uh, my name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What up, Jason? Not much about you, Kerwin. I'm good, man. What are you drinking today? I am drinking a Stone Buena Vista Salt and Lime Lager. That is very delicious. Uh, Mug is also with us here today. What up, Mugs? What are you drinking today? Uh, some Merlot. Holly is with us today. What up, Holly? Which one are you talking about? <laughs> Which Holly? Oh, sorry. Holly Hart is with us today. Oh, hi. Uh, hi, Kerwin. What are you drinking today? I have finally found the truly hard lemonade seltzer, so I am trying the strawberry lemonade. Uh, and making her debut on the show is Holly Murphy. What up, Holly? How are you? Hello. Uh, what are you drinking today? I am drinking a Mike Hess Grapefruit Solis. All right. So today we... No, I was going to point out her shirt. Can we talk yeah, about her shirt? Yeah, she's wearing a Top Gun shirt. And... To top it off, I had to wear my Iceman shirt. Iceman. Yeah, there we go. Woo. The one I used for Erica's party. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That was such a cop-out, by the way, but we'll allow uh, it today. Great we'll allow it today. Yeah. That's a pretty cool shirt, man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so today we are talking about Top Gun, released May 16th, uh, 1986. It stars Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis, Val Kilmer, Anthony Edwards, Tom Skerritt, Michael Ironside, John Stockwell, Barry Tubb, and Rick Rosovich. It's directed by Tony Scott. Written by Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr., produced by Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer Films, and it's distributed by Paramount Pictures. Uh, so before we get into behind the scenes, Mugga, why don't you hit us with the financials? So this movie, obviously 1986, like you just said, um, cost around 15 million to make. Um, I think that's a lot at the time, you know, but it did tremendous. Um, up to date, it's made a little over 176 million uh, domestic and internationally 177. I think this is combining its re-releases, the ones that they have. So overall, this is made up close to 354 million dollars uh, worldwide. It was released, like Kerwin said, on uh, May 16th, but I think they did not expect it to be um, as big it was because it almost had like a re-release in June. They added like 500 more theaters in June, which like really skyrocketed the sales even more. And then I have the movies that it was competing with against. It's really weird. In the weekend of May, all I really could recognize was Short Circuit. Did you guys ever watch that movie? Oh, yeah. So yeah. Short Circuit yeah. was in Johnny theaters. Um, Critters. <laughs> Um, and then uh, Police Academy 3 back in training. So what I did is I went... Uh, Jesus, real yeah. tough weekend. I, I, went, uh, I went and like looked up other movies in 86. You got Failures, Boolers, Day Off, Platoon, Aliens, The Fly, um, Crocodile Dundee, which I believe was the second highest rated uh, sorry, uh, uh, movie for uh, uh, ticket sales behind Top Gun, um, Labyrinth, Big Trouble Little China, and you can't forget Howard the Duck. Labyrinth. Is it, what did I say? You said Labyrinth. Oh, yeah, Labyrinth. Labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, but yeah, Howard the Duck. You guys remember that movie? No. It creeps me out. I it's hate a, that duck. This is a George Lucas movie. Yeah, yeah. 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 But since it is I'm, Tom... Oh, go ahead. What can I just say? say with financials, like, I'm surprised it only took $15 million to make. Like, that's seriously surprising for all the it's plane shots that they though. have. Well, and, I, and when we get into the behind the scenes, you'll see how much it cost to, like, actually film the, the planes and all that. Um, but the Navy helped fund this, so I don't mm -hmm. think that's included in the cost. Okay. Because they use it as a recruiting tool. We'll get into all yeah. that. But Jason and I had this discussion earlier in this week. This is according to the numbers.com. 
Tom Cruise, he's done 37 films, bringing in roughly $8.4 billion total. <laughs> just looking at Tom Cruise, making him the number two ranking of all time. Now, this is the numbers.com. We've found a couple other websites, right, that didn't have him as number two, number 10, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Who's number one on that list? Try to guess, because we had to look it up, and like you'll be surprised who it is. Now, this oh, is God. not it's like, like how much Adam they made. It's like Adam Sandler. I'm leaving like, right no, now. Well, it's, it's not Adam Sandler, but it's... Is it Will Smith? Samuel L. Jackson, I think. Because oh, he's been I can all see that. I can see that. Yeah. He's in everything. Yeah. Like, so, okay. but, but this said he's number two. We found ones where he was like number 10 and like Robert Downey Jr. was, I, I don't know. So this is to the numbers.com what they gave me, but I thought that was kind of interesting. So is this um, the money he's made or the, the movie? Box- the, the money that the movies have made. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, box office. Um, and but so to then be I, fair, like Samuel L. Jackson's been... And a every, minor character in a lot yeah, of movies yeah, that have yeah. done really well. And Snakes on a Plane. I mean, you gotta, you know, so. I've had um, it. <laughs> so then I, I went even more into the financials, looking up Tom Cruise's top movies of all time. Where do you guys think Top Gun ranks? Does, I would I mean, say like gotta, top yeah. 10, but not top five. It is not in the top 10. Stop. Now this is 1986. This is his 11th highest grossing film. 11th, oh. okay. Yeah, right. I can go over the top 10 but if this, you want. But this counts but inflation, right? It does account inflation, um, yeah, ticket sales and all that stuff. Top Gun, going back to it, was its uh, 11th highest grossing film. That is also, though, his earliest as far as like the highest of it is, you know? Yeah. Like, so everything that beat it is post-Top Subsequent, Gun. Subsequent, yeah. Um, the 10th one is Minority Report. Um, number nine, hold on one second, it's on the other side. You know, actually, maybe I'm out of order. Maybe I skipped nine. So number eight is Ooh. Rain Man. Rain Man is number eight. Seven is The Last Samurai. Uh, six is The First Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible 2 is number five. And then you get into his top four, which are kind of recent. Number four is Mission Impossible 3. Three is uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. And then that was three. Ghost Protocols number two. And number one is Mission Impossible Fallout. It does have on here three movies coming out, though, on this list. They're not giving him any money. Top Gun Maverick, but it says Mission Impossible 7 or 8. And I was going to ask you, Kerwin, do you know anything about these? Jesus Christ, how many Mission... It's like well, Fast and the Furious. They're making money. Like, Fallout like, made almost $800 million. Yeah, so uh, Mission Impossible, um, what, 7 and 8? Yeah. They're being filmed back to back. Are I they think, really? Yeah, so I think um, 7 is coming out uh, 2021. And I could be wrong, but I think um, 8 is going to come out in 2022. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, I'm excited Jeez. now. I'm still waiting for the Mummy 2. (laughs) That is not. The Mummy I have, that made $400 million though. Did it really? Holy shit. It made $400 million? According to uh, the numbers.com. I never never saw it. Yeah, nobody went to see that. And I think that budget was so huge and the marketing for it was so huge that um, that 400 didn't even like help it out because I think that was like the worldwide because um, Universal was starting their whole Monsters Universe thing that they were doing. And because that movie bombed so hard, they just canceled everything. (laughs) Like every movie they had lined up that was in production. Damn. Cute. Yeah, those are the finances. All right, Jason, uh, why don't you tell us what the people thought of this? So according to RottenTomatoes.com, 55% of critics liked the movie. That's it. So they gave it, 55% of critics gave it a positive rating. Yep. Audience, uh, 83. So 83% of the audience gave it a score of a 3.5 or higher. Um, Average rating was 4.14. There was a total of 724,000 votes. So I think most of us here side with the audience. Here. I do. Uh, yeah. Most of us. I don't. Yeah, know. I would say so. Yeah. yeah. But um, what was what was most of the the criticism though by the critics? 
Um, I know one in particular, Roger Ebert's. Yeah, so you have this. So go ahead, but yeah. No, no, go ahead. Say it, Roger. Basically, he said it's hard to review this movie because there are parts that are so great, and then you get into parts that are just so bad. I think he was referring to like the dialogue or the acting. That's what he said. He said, like, when it's it's good, it's really good, but when it's bad, it's it's super bad. bad. And he was like, the planes, the aerial shots, everything like that is like amazing because it's actual planes. And then he said, look out for when two characters are talking (laughs) to each other. It was basically like the summation of his review. There, there was another review on Rotten Tomatoes. His name is uh, Felix Vasquez Jr. He writes for Cinema Crazed. Um, he said, you can argue that it's a cool movie, but is Top Gun a good movie? I'd definitely say hell no, topped with are you kidding me? So, Damn. Uh, yeah. So critics didn't give this a great score. Uh, IMDb had it a 6.9 out of 10 with 273,000 votes. Uh, I looked up the demos again and it's, it's relatively the same. I was expecting to see like males like 40 and older, like really liking this, right. but it doesn't, I, the scale is pretty even. Did you, I'm sorry, did you go over the females? What I was going to go say females under 18 with that volleyball they, scene, they basically, honey. And I'll get into like the advisor, but he's like, we don't take our shirts off in locker rooms like this, or we, we don't play volleyball, but they said we were paying Tom Cruise money. We need to see flesh. And so yes. I think they, were, they were appeasing to the female audience. Gays and gals rejoice, <laughs> honey. <laughs> So according to the demo show, I'll kind of go over it real quick. Are 18 and under females, I figure that volleyball <laughs> scene would get them two thumbs way, way up. So again, it was a 6.9 overall. Under 18, males get a 6.9, females 6.6. Again, not a lot of votes. It's only 15 votes out of this 200 and something thousand. I mean, yeah. But you look at males 45 and plus is 6.8, so even lower than the average, and then females 45 plus is 7.1. Yeah. So what, two tenths <laughs> higher? So I mean, yeah. it, there's not a lot of discrepancy here yeah. between the demos, but um, that's the reviews. All right, Mugga, so uh, why don't you take us behind the scenes of so, Top Gun? So starting with this movie, give you a little research on Top Guns, which is the actual school. It's not Top Gun, okay? That's for the movie. Um, it originated in 1960 in San Diego at Miramar Naval Air Station. It was a way to help the combat losing battle that they're having in Vietnam. They talk about this in the movie, how they got the ratio back up to 12 to 1. However, because of base alignments and all that stuff, they moved it to Fallon, Nevada. I think that's how you say it, in 1996. And uh, they renamed it United States Navy Strike Fighter Tactics Instructor. It's kind of weird. I kind of like Top Guns better, but same. Um, I guess if you are at this base currently and you reference the movie, you get a five dollar fine. You cannot say Need for Speed or anything like that. They do not want you actually get fined five dollars if you quote the movie Top Gun at this air, air base right now. So it's like a swear jar. Kind of, yeah. Are they allowed to play volleyball shirtless? I I, I don't know. Yes, that is always. If not, I'm. That's the real question. Yeah. I'm calling upon that for discrimination. If so that's not allowed. So that's kind of where it's currently at. I'll get into that more because it kind of I think is in the movie. Um, but this film was made in 1986 by legendary producers Don Simpson and uh, Jerry Bruckheimer. It originated or was inspired when Bruckheimer found an article named Top Guns uh, in the California Magazine. Uh, it was in 1983, so this is obviously three years prior to the movie. The article was basically the life of fighter pilots at Miramar Naval Station, also known as Fighter Town USA. And uh, Jerry found not only the article great, but the photo. I guess there was a photo that had it, and it had basically a fighter pilot that was 28,000 feet above ground with three other uh, jets behind it and very, like, just the blue background, all that. And he said that this is Star Wars on Earth. I don't know how much I agree with that statement, but he said this is Star Wars on Earth because this is after Star Wars was released, right, you know? Yeah, because uh, you said 83, right? This is 83. Yeah, Yeah. that's when uh, Return of the Jedi came out. Okay, so yeah. then yeah, so um, but uh, but but loved the photo, loved everything about it because of this uh, and the interest that he had. 
he had Paramount purchased the rights to the actual article, okay? This, just, just the rights, there's no script, nothing. Um, so now that you have an interest in making this movie, getting screenwriters was a problem. Um, I guess numerous screenwriters turned this down. Eventually they went on to hire two guys. The first guy was named Jim Cash. He's an actual pilot, not one of these pilots, he just has like his pilot license. And another guy <laughs> named Jack Epps Jr. Um, to write the first draft. This draft that they wrote is significantly, and I'm gonna say that again, significantly different than what the final project of what you see on the actual film today. And we'll get into all that. Um, the reason why it's different is because they knew that they needed the assistance of the U.S. Navy to film this, which ended up changing a lot of what they originally wrote. Uh, they had a dramatic story, um, and I'll get into, again, a lot of that later. But Epps was concerned that if he didn't do it the way the Navy wanted to, it wouldn't look right. Um, they had the option of doing some sort of blue screen, the CGI. Um, but I think at that time frame, the seat, it wasn't going to look good. They said, we have to have the navies like to help us out with this. So that's why Bruckheimer agreed. And uh, um, Epps also agreed. Um, th- this is weird to me. Epps, the guy that's writing it, he wrote because he had some experience with the actual like flying like in jets and all that stuff. Epps basically said that this movie is about athletes and like they're always competing. You know, if you look at it, they have like that physical fitness to them and all that. And if you've never been in like one of these jets, you just don't know. But he said they're always competing and that's why they wrote it the way they did. That's why they have a Top Gun trophy. Um, there's locker rooms, a volleyball scene. And he's basically said, quote, these guys go through what they go through and it's just plain athleticism and competition. And so that's why you get this. I guess in the real Top Gun school, there's no trophy. Like you don't do a lot of the things that they're doing. They're not competing like that. They're just kind of learning how to do dogfighting, but I thought that was kind of interesting of the way they wrote it, but what do you guys, do you guys like it that they have the trophy and all that stuff? I think it adds a little more. It adds for a movie. Yeah, Yeah, I think think it adds more. It gives uh, the guys a reason to kind of compete against each other, which adds some drama to the movie. Like, we'll talk about it in Trash or Treasure, but I think like, um, because there's no real antagonist in this film, you kind of need something for these guys, you know, to motivate them. Because Val Kilmer or Iceman, he's not a villain, but he kind of is, right? Right, but there's no character like... no, like set, there's no like, lead up guy. to that. There's yeah. no nothing. Like all they have are like these cross looks in a classroom, and like and they're like then their enemy right and like him. snapping yeah. his teeth, like the the biting his teeth at him. Like so, adding that trophy gives it kind of more relatable thing to the like civilian world yeah. that they have. Because I would still say that the competitive part is still alive and well today. Yeah. They're still competing, but it's more put that competition and that goal in like a physical form in the form of the trophy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, like getting your name on that plaque is, is one thing, but having, two a physical, goose boys. <laughs> <laughs> but having the physical trophy, I think it kind of adds to the yeah. movie, at least for people watching it. Like they actually get something to say. Well, there's hey, like, buy-in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all in all, uh, the Navy gave the script approval and gave it the tone of what it is you see today, um, that Navy tone. Um, this was accomplished by the help of, a, this guy is huge in this movie, Rear Admiral Pete Viper Pettigrew. That's his actual call sign, Viper. I thought that was great. And he's a formal naval aviator, a Vietnam War veteran, and a Top Gun instructor, and served as a technical advisor on the film. He also made an appearance in the movie. Do you guys know who it is? Oh, is, is he one of the MIG pilots? No. no? <laughs> he, he's actually known as a MIG killer. Oh, yeah, I he's love good. this. Murphy has a fun fact, right. though. He's, uh, a, he's an older guy. It goes into my experience, but I saw Top Gun when they showed it on the USS Midway, and he was there, yeah. like, just meeting and greeting He people. seems like a nice guy in the he's, interviews I saw, yeah. Wait, please tell me he's, like, the bartender. No. Worse. Oh, worse? God. Well, not worse, but it's, like, he's, he doesn't have one line, but he's He's, like, it. holding the coffee when, when it gets when, guys, knocked over? Guys, I got over? this. I got this. He's the volleyball. No. That's Wilson. That's Wilson. Wilson. So after you've lost that love and feeling and she says, I'm here meeting someone, that's the guy. No, he's Perry. He's the boner. 
That's him. He is a he's like the Top Gun guy. Like he's Viper. Shut up. Yeah. And he's yeah. like the butt of the joke. Like yeah. you can't be with that. Guy. Yeah. Oh my god. So because this guy uh, Pete Pettigrew, also known as Viper, he had such an influence. Um, it kind of shaped the way what you see now. I'm gonna go over some of the changes. I'm sorry. Did you just say Peter Pettigrew? It's Pete Fuck Pettigrew. That's what his name just is. Not Viper. Peter Pettigrew. Yeah. Is that his name? There's a Harry, a Harry Potter, Potter Harry Potter reference. Jason, how did you know that? Oh, I didn't know Don't that. ask. Jason, <laughs> I'm asking, how did you know that? Okay, we're talking about Top Gun. Yeah, okay. What are the marauders? <laughs> All right, so some of those changes that happen of the script, I guess the opening fight was supposed to be over Cuba, and they actually changed that to international waters. I think that has to do with something political. I'm not really too sure. They were going to have a crash on the aircraft carrier on the actual deck, and the Navy was like, nope, get rid of that. Um, they didn't want that at all. They also wanted a mid-air collision. I think Dom Simpson was like in love with this idea, and the Navy's like, you can't do that. You know, um, There's a scene in the hangar where you have like a classroom out there. This is one thing I guess he let up on. He goes, we would never have a classroom out in the hangar. We just don't do that. He goes, well, what do you guys do? He said, we go to a classroom. And he said, well, good. You guys know that, but Bob from Kansas doesn't know that. And this looks cool with a big flag in the jet <laughs> right there. I, I kind of like that scene, whatever. Thank you, Bob um, from Kansas. This is a big one. Maverick's love interest was changed. It was supposed to be an actual pilot, but they were like, we just don't date each other. You don't do that. And so they asked like, well, how can we make this work? So they actually changed it to someone that's a contractor with the Navy that would come in and I guess grade is what she does, right? I heard it was supposed to be an enlisted. Oh, was it? Yeah. yeah. I just, that, I, that's that's more of a controversy okay. over a pilot to pilot relationship. Yeah. You're not allowed to have an enlisted officer relationship. That's fraternization. Um, you get kicked out. Wow. Uh, real quick. Could women pilot combat missions back in the 80s or? That I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. Because yeah. I remember... I mean, maybe was, you guys are right. Then maybe it was an enli- yeah, something was, like that. Yeah, I think that's what I heard was it was an enlisted okay. officer relationship, and that's definitely not something the Navy would want to advertise. Right. And so they change it to where it is what it is now, and I'll get yeah. into more when we get to like her character on the Still casting. Still bad, but, not but is that bad. like you can't fraternize with like a contractor? It's well, I know it's like frowned upon because it's, it's frowned just like, upon. I don't know the yeah. Exact you know what? Rules. I have I have down here due to the U.S. military's prohibition of fraternizing between officers and enlisted personnel. So yeah, you are right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's that's why they change it to what it was. Yeah. And they I make just, they make a big point of pointing out that she's not in the right. navy she's at a all. So you do not salute her. You yeah. do not salute <laughs> yeah. her. Yeah. So the big change that I got out of this was uh, was Goose's death. He originally wasn't supposed to die. Like, I think the Navy didn't want that. But they just were like really adamant about, like, we have to have something where it's tragic and that Maverick feels responsible. So they didn't want to do a collision or whatnot. So this guy, Viper, he came in and said, okay, I've read about this. I don't think this actually happened. But what they teach you is that when you are ejecting, you got to wait till the canopy is completely away. Then you eject your seat. What if we had it where he ejects and you don't have enough time to vacate it? So when he ejects, he breaks his neck when he goes up and that's why you see what is Maverick eventually in the in the trial is, is acquitted of like everything you know but uh, it is what it is he basically doesn't wait for the canopy to like completely be not over him anymore and he ejects and then breaks his neck and that's how you get the whole tragic scene of Goose's death but that originally wasn't in the original script there was going to be like a collision or something and the Navy was like no we're not doing that you know yeah. so because the Navy was involved and they were using them they had to actually submit the script to the Pentagon for approval do you guys know that? Basically, they needed to let the military come over the script and ensure nothing made the military look bad. I think films prior to this, movies were making the military look bad. I don't know what movies did that, though. They kept saying prior to Top Gun, it wasn't really pro-military. 
I think you have to look at the fact that uh, the Vietnam War is that was it the was? most was yeah. the most recent military conflict, I believe, before the yeah. early okay. '80s. So mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of that stuff going on. Because I, I mean, even when we talk about Forrest Gump, they made sure not to kind of voice an opinion on the military's involvement in that particular war. So I think that kind of carried over gotcha. to this movie as well. What kind of war movies were before this? Like, I guess Platoon wasn't the one that Robin Williams was in. Oh, well, uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah, good there was that. Vietnam. Was you it called po- the Right Stuff or something? You had Apocalypse Now. You yeah, had a, the Right Stuff was an astronaut movie. Which one am I? No, thinking? but I was Which listening to a Rob- podcast and they were saying subsequent to Vietnam, there was like a solid stretch of any like military movie that came out. They didn't exactly paint the military in the best light. Yeah. Now you got the script. Pentagon's approving it. So all in all, I think it took around seven drafts to get what they got. You know, which is pretty crazy. But the writers, the Navy producers, Don Simpson, Jerry Breckham are all on the same page. What was not on the same page was Paramount. They did not greenlight this. Um, they thought, first of all, it was too many planes. <laughs> okay, no and such they, thing. They put it in what's called turnaround. Do you know what that means? I think turnaround is like they thought it was going to cost too much and they weren't going to get their money out of it, almost like a negative value. So they put it in what's called turnaround and wasn't going to get made. Oh, maybe they didn't want to. They didn't want to budget the film, possibly. I, I guess. Yeah, that's that's what I. So they thought that this project was basically dead. Dom Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer went to this guy Michael Eisner and Jeff Katzenberg. I think that's how you say his name at Paramount and begged to make this movie. Dom Simpson actually got on his knees begging. However, they just, they said no and they considered the project dead. So okay, so what, what year was like... I think this is all still in 1983. No, it's 83, but what I'm thinking is like, where are we in the Don Simpson, like, I think you're at the up and down? It, yeah, no, exactly, but I'm saying like, is this prior to his like, coking out? Oh, yeah, him, yeah, he, like, they, 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 I watched some ties, that like, he was doing coke and blow. And well, I understand and, that, but I'm saying yeah. like, if, as far as him and Jerry Brockheimer's relationship, because when was The Rock made? What was their last oh, movie? After. Wasn't it The Rock? And I know it was after, but like, yeah. it wasn't that early 90s, like 90... Their last movie, their last full movie, I believe was the Rock, and then um, Don Simpson passed away before Conair was released. I think, right. yeah. yeah. So the Rock was the Rock was ninety six, right? So this is ten years prior. Right. Okay, when it was I released. I think he actually went for rehab and post production of Top Gun. I think I don't. Okay. I don't know for sure. I, I want to so say I was, saw that too. So he yeah. was on a coke binge, which explains yeah. why he was on his knees begging people. So yeah. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> um, so this guy Michael Eisner and Jeff Katzenberg left Paramount though, and they went on to to go to Disney. Um, Bruckheimer eventually met with Ted Cannon, who replaced these guys and wanted to make movies. That's all he said. So he asked Bruckheimer, "What do you have?" Trey said, "Well, I got this movie Top Gun," and uh, he goes, "Well, how much is it going to cost?" Fourteen million. He said, "Just go make it." I kind of love that he said that. He's like, "Hey, you're the artist. Just go make your movie. You know, you have the vision." And then they gave it a green light after that. So I thought that was kind Just of go interesting. make it. Yeah. <laughs> Finding a director was a task. They said, um, I read something that John Carpenter was in consideration for it. I don't know how this movie would have looked, you know? Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Sorry, I, for I, people I who don't, don't like know that. who John Carpenter um, is, can you, can you catch what, us what up? What has he done? Is, uh, didn't he do Halloween? Yeah. Why are you yeah, looking at me? I just asked you John movies. Carpenter. Well, he did. <laughs> yeah, he did the original Halloween, and I want to say he did this newest release of the Halloween with okay. Jamie Lee Curtis. But yeah, more of a horror kind of. Okay. Yeah, That's it's a like thriller vibe all together. Yeah, it's not the directory to go to. Um, they eventually went to Ridley Scott's brother, Tony Scott. He had just got done doing The Hunger. However, he was fired three times during this movie. Three times they Wait, fired Wait, Tony him. Scott was? Tony Scott was fired three times during this movie. 
All right, so getting into the cast, we're going to start with Tom Cruise, okay? Just the first guy, you know. I had read a guy named Matthew Mundane was offered the role, but turned it down. But I don't know how true that was. This is what I read, because I also saw interviews where Jerry Bruckheimer's like, we're writing this role, think of Tom Cruise for this. So Tom Cruise was interested, but held out for certain reasons. Um, One main reason, he wanted to fly in the F-14. He's quoted saying, I'm going to make this movie, but don't tell Jerry that I wanted to make it. Um, because I want to fly with the Blue Angels. So he like kind of held out like, hey, just let him, let me let me go up there with him before I do this. And he actually got a ride with the Blue Angels. Bruckheimer set it up, got a ride, and then Cruz immediately after like called him from a payphone. Again, this is 1986 or 83, whatever it was, and said, I, I'm, I'm on this project. Let's go, you know. There is a guy named Randy Duke Cunningham that claims that he was uh, uh, the inspiration for Pete Mitchell, but producers are like, that's that's a lie. They, they didn't model it after him. But but yeah, that's how you get Tom Cruise involved in this. Do you know who reportedly turned down the role for no. Maverick? Scott Bale. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't read that. Yeah. Yeah. Next one I'm going to go to is Kelly McGillis. She uh, is Charlie or Charlotte Blackwood. The character is based on a real life person, Kristen Fox. Charlie Legs Fox, I guess is what her name is. And she worked at the Marine Corps Air Station in Miramar. I guess, though, they did offer this part prior to a girl named Julianne Phillips. I did not know who she was. She's like a model. Did a couple things that I did not know what they were. I don't know if they were married or dated or something like that. But yeah, she has affiliations with Bruce Springsteen. She was the first wife of Bruce Springsteen. The first wife? They actually were married? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I've never I've never heard of her. Um, I don't think when they hired Kelly, I don't think the studio was really on board. They thought she was basically too old for Tom, but Tony really wanted a girl that could have command or the control of all the pilots, which I, I kind of, I, I, I can kind of see that. All right, now getting on to, I think, one of my favorite characters, Val Kilmer, Iceman. Ugh. Yeah. He did not want this movie in the first place. Why? Had, I, I, so I just don't know if he got or didn't want to. Um, he, had, he, he talked about he had the same agent at this time as Tom Cruise did. I read, though, that contract with the studio basically like, kind of forced him to do it. But to like convince him, Tony Scott begged him to have a meeting. His agent's like, go have a meeting. So they finally had a meeting because he was avoiding him for a while. And I think Val Kilmer's like, I just don't get it, and walked away. And basically, Tony Scott, in front of an elevator, like begged him, like, hey, man, you got to do this movie. Like, you have to do this movie. And that's when he's like, all right, I'll do it. There's a lot of begging going right? on. Yeah, yeah, begging. Yeah. Um, you got Anthony Edwards, um, who's Goose. Yeah. Do you guys know his name in the you, movie? You know, it's not said it's once. It's not said one time, but I do have his name if you guys know it. No. Nick Bradshaw. What? Yeah, I like Goose better. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Goose with yeah. two O's. Um, he was in a yeah, he was in a couple movies prior to this, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Revenge of the Nerds, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and he's in ER, but yeah, I think ER that's after, after that. Yeah. I don't I have a funny fact that I'll get into after I get to the rest of the cast, but I don't know of anyone else that was up for this part. Do you guys have anyone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's perfect. He just for he it. nailed it, yeah. yeah. Um Viper. Mike Metcalf, that's his name, was played by a guy named Tom Scarrett. Tom Scarrett. Scarrett. Yeah. He was also in Ridley Scott's Alien in 1979. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. Um, there's Jester and Cougar and a couple other guys. I don't have anything really fun facts about them, except for one about Barry Tubb, who's Wolfman. Do you guys know anything about him? He actually dated, and I think they got married, to uh, Kelly McGillis. Oh, yeah. oh really? Isn't she a yeah. lesbian? She might be now, but they they dated in the movie, and he had quoted like saying like Yeah, Tom gets to kiss her on camera, but I get to go home with her. Like that's what he said on camera in the interview. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I want to go over Rick Rossovich Slider. Don't you love his last name, Rossovich? I don't know why. I can't get over it. Just sounds like a pilot. Rick Ross. Um, You do have Tim Robbins. 
Tim Robbins, who played Merlin. Obviously, we know him from the Shawshank. And then you got Meg Ryan. I don't know what Meg Ryan had done prior this to this. This was her first movie. So this is why I'm going to go in this. A lot of these actors, Val Kilmer, Anthony Edwards, Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis, it, it was like, this is like the movie that was supposed to like kickstart them. There's a lot of pressure on this movie. When Harry Met Sally? was this after. after. Yeah. Really? Okay. Harry yeah. Met Sally was 88? Yeah. Yeah. So all these actors, because they were going to go up, besides the ones that aren't pilots, they were going to go up in the planes. They had to actually go through the training that the Navy put them through, you know, all the stuff. All of them threw up except for one. If you had to guess, which one would it be? Which one didn't go didn't, through the Navy? No, no, no. They, they all went up on, on jets and went through the training. And when they went up the jets, they actually threw up except for one. Which one do you think didn't throw up? Tom Cruise? No. Val he, Kilmer? No. He did, Actually, I'll take the back. He didn't even go up. He refused to go up. Val Kilmer refused? He did not go up at all. I guess that makes sense because I don't think yeah. I've ever, like, after revisiting the movie, yeah. it doesn't... Seem like he was, yeah. Yeah. Anthony Edwards was the only one that they said was basically fit to be it, like in aerial combat in these fighter pilots. Goose, he's the one that, and he's the one that dies. Isn't that yeah. weird? All the other ones was like, yeah, I threw up, and like they had like panics where they would hold the seat, but that's right where the ejection handle was. So they oh, were like, shit. they would like just freak out. Yeah, yeah. And I guess they were filming like documentaries on the making of Top Gun, and they would be embarrassed to take their bags of throw up off the because they'd be like right there. You know? <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't so, you be too though? You want to be that badass? You want to be that badass that doesn't throw up? Yeah. But I think it's funny because like some. Somebody said that like Tom Cruise going up, like he was unsure of the project. And then when they took him up and they made him do like the 5G spins and everything, like he called from a payphone and was like, I'm in, I'm doing yeah. this. And then we see the trailer for Top Gun Maverick yeah. and he's like flying the plane practically. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the scene where I have like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. When his head jerks. And yeah, I know. So yeah. I think it's funny that this probably launched like a, a love that he had for yeah. aircraft, for flying planes and things like that. He got the need for speed. He got the need for $5. speed. Five dollars. Ian and Fallon. All right, so that's the cast. Um, I love the cast. I think it's a great cast. Getting on to filming, which is interesting enough. We'll just start. They had to obviously start filming using the F-14 Tomcat. That's the plane that you see from the Navy. And then there's the MiGs that you see, which are the F-5s. I don't know if we want to talk about MiGs. I don't want to, but... Let's dive I into it. Want Let Jason do it. I, I think you want to. I think you want to. So what you're saying now is that you don't like it because of the term from the movie. It was the enemy. But I remember a story that your brother and Juice told when you guys worked at Chili's that there were some regulars that came into the bar. And when they would ask for you, they wouldn't say mugga. They would like be like, uh, where's uh, where's Migs, Migs at? Yeah. And so, of course, you know, smart of them. They came home and I was Called here and they, and they told us this story. And then I think Man Bun and I just ran with it. And yeah. we just uh, we called it you Migs. Just, it's, I, every time you guys say Migs, I see a black plane with a single tail with a red star on it. And it's the villain of Top Gun. And I hate it. Yeah. Every single time I hear Migs, I just see you pissed off. So. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. I blindly see nothing. I just laugh a lot. You know? <laughs> so they used for the F-14s a squadron called the VF-51 or the Screaming Eagles. And Viper, Tom Skerritt, actually mentions this in the movie. I, I'm going to have to watch it again, which I will not be mad about. But yeah, I guess they referenced this, this squadron in the movie. They were given schedules um, and could film. However, this is where it gets weird. It's going to cost them around $7,800 an hour for fuel, according to Wikipedia. And this is when they want to do things outside their normal duties. But that's what I read on Wikipedia. I have read on other sites, articles, or people saying it in, our, in interviews. It was up to $10,000 an hour. So it's anywhere between roughly $8,000, $10,000 an hour that it costs when they would do something outside their normal duties. So if they wanted them to do anything 
extra, then that's what it was. But then they would also get the free footage of them just doing their normal stuff, setting up a camera and all the stuff that you see. So, and again, this is back then in 86. I mean, did how much did it really cost if you do inflation? I mean, that's Is that's that factored into the budget too, you yeah, think? Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. But again, this is when it was additional stuff. Anything outside their regular, okay. you know, normal duties is what they said. So getting into the shots that you see. So most of the shots that you see in the movie are shot at a naval station in Nevada. I think it's just the same one. That it, yeah, that it moved to eventually in 1996, which is kind of ironic, right? You know, um, it's called the Naval A Station in uh, Fallon, Nevada. Ironically, this place actually became Top Gun in 96, and it was moved from there from Miramar. A lot of history about this place, if you want to look it up. Um, personal story is my dad said that people will actually go to areas around there, camp out, because it's like a free air show. You never know what you're going to get. I kind of want to do it one day, you know, if I get my trailer and all that. But it's they said they just kind of camp out. It's, it is, right? But <laughs> there's certain like areas where they fly. If they are going to fly, they're going to go through there. It's what I was mm-hmm. told, you know. So, so kind of interesting. But that's a lot of the shots that you see in the desert when they're actually in the Top Gun school. Um, getting into the fun stuff, the aircraft carrier sequences, those were filmed on the USS Enterprise and basically showing the F-14 squadron. Now, these are two different ones, the VF-114, the Aardvarks, and the VF-213 Black Lions. Um, the majority of the carrier flight deck shots were just normal aircraft. That's what you see at the very, very beginning. And uh, the film crew, just whatever they could just film, they would just get. They did save the occasion for the flyby at the very end. That was requested by the film crew, which is really kind of cool. There is a funny story, though, about how when they were trying to just get their normal shots, everything, there was perfect lighting for the sun. I tried to look at this movie. I think it's the very, very end where they're taking off with the sun in the background. I think that's what it was. I guess Tony Scott was wanting to do that, and the guy that was in charge of the ship's directions or whoever it was um, had to change course for whatever reason they were doing normal duties. And I think Tony Scott walked up and said, dude, you got to go back. Can I get that shot? He said, it will cost us $25,000 to change the direction of this aircraft carrier. And I guess Tony Scott wrote him a check right there for twenty five grand. <laughs> Uh, real, that's baller. Yeah. Real I quick. think it bounced, though. He said, I think it bounced. Oh, <laughs> shit. Damn. Yeah. Uh, real quick, though. Um, towards the end, right? Um, that's where everything's kind of like orange. Yes. And all. Yeah. So do you think they filmed the beginning of the movie and that portion at the same time? So Ooh. I do. Because it was all. Good they call. Were, yeah. I, I think so. I think you're right. Okay. Yeah. And you um, said the, the ship's name was the USS. It's Enterprise. It yeah. is oh. now decommissioned. Yeah. Where, do you know where it's at? I don't know exactly, but they is may it have. sitting in San Diego somewhere? They may have torn it up for parts. I think John Luke Picard also. Was commander of that ship too, wasn't Jesus he? Jesus Christ! <laughs> Getting that Star Trek knowledge in there. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the Enterprise wow. decommissioned. It's not. Jason, I was not expecting wow. that from you. Harry Potter and Star Trek in know, one man. episode. Jason, what's the one that we went to in New York? Which one was that? The Intrepid. The Intrepid. Yeah. So, getting into the fun other stuff. Um, the other shots that you see are the air combat shots. I thought this was interesting. Um, because it was the Navy, they needed to have clear directions on how they were supposed to do and when they were supposed to do it, talking about all the maneuvers they were doing up in the air. Um, the aerial director for the uh, the movie would sit in on these meetings and just start shouting out, okay, then I want you guys to go vertical. Then I want you to do this. And these pilots, I guess, were like getting annoyed. <laughs> and they're kind of like, look at, go meet with our boss and go over what you want us to do. Then he'll come in and we'll map out because they have to have clear like instructions of what they're doing. I mean, you have million dollar planes in the air and this guy just didn't understand. Like, I want you to go vertical because, and I'll get into how they were filming it. It's just, we can't, we have to have a plan of what we're doing. You know what I mean? But I can understand that, that being that naive, oh, yeah, I guess, yeah. when oh dude, this would be so cool if you guys could yeah. do this and this yeah. and this. And they're like, 
pump the brakes. Yeah, literally, <laughs> pump the brakes and fly right by. You count like the fuel that you're using for yeah. each, and then the flight path. Like you don't want to like get into another flight path with another aircraft because that could be operational risk right there. So yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I could see how they could easily get annoyed because there's definitely a plan well before they get into the seat of. Yeah, and know. and these guys basically said these movie people just don't really know exactly what these planes are capable of doing, you know. So they had to like hey, kind of educate them. Um, they filmed all of those scenes in three different ways. Uh, one was when they had just out of a Learjet. Do you guys know what that is? It's kind of, I looked it up. It's kind of like just like a fancy like business plane, private jet kind of thing. And those are the shots that you see when they're like turning or whatnot. You know, when you see a bunch of fights and the dog fights, all that stuff. So they basically had this jet and these guys would be around them doing the stuff and they would capture the footage, which is pretty, pretty cool. I would have loved to have been in like seeing an air show from another jet, you know, or whatever. That makes sense. I was kind of curious yeah. how they got some of those shots. Yeah. Um, and so those are all the dog fighting stuff. The other stuff that they had were the cameras attached or inside the plane. The first one was, if we'll talk about attached to the plane, um, they actually mounted cameras on an F-14 that could point in any direction, specifically forward or behind, when you see you're like actually riding with the plane outside of the cockpit, you know? Um, they had stuff that was mounted on top and on bottom. I don't know how I feel about the shots on bottom, you know, when they're at the, it's interesting. What do you, I mean. I love it, man. I, 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 I like too. it. Yeah, I, okay, yeah. I, I was gonna say too. the I thing just, where like, I, the, the shot that I kind of appreciate the most is when they're taking off from the carrier yes. and it's like that underneath shot and like, and all that. when you think about like movies at that time, you didn't really see shots like that and it was pretty freaking cool. We were talking about the, the preview for Top Gun Maverick too and we see some of those shots too, but you're like, Shit, we we saw this yeah. like some of these shots in the first movie. Mm -hmm. Like, it's amazing how they did this that long yeah. ago too. Thirty four years so ago. So the Navy exactly. had to actually approve it. Yeah, they had to approve it. Um, and I think this changed the look of the movie. Uh, if you guys can help me out, I think I was watching an interview of the guy that was in kind of in charge. The shot then they did this in Super Thirty Five. Does that make any sense? You guys know what that is? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's just because of the weight of it. When if they were to like turn left or b what bank is that the correct term? <laughs> I don't, um, but they wouldn't fall off or take off. Yeah. And so that's why they had these heavier cameras mounted on. And I think it gave it the look that you see because it's I think it's high frames for, per second. I think that's that's what I'm getting out of it. Then they had the cameras in the cockpit, both front and rear. These were called photosonic gun cameras. And I didn't know what this was. I think we kind of looked it up where it's high frames, right? Yeah. So they had this. Um, these are the shots where you see the actual pilots and actors when they're like doing the flybys and all that stuff um, with their masks on. None of the dialogue. I'll get into all that. But basically, you had cameras inside the cockpit, outside of the uh, um, plane itself, and then the Learjet. So it's kind of, I mean, imagine this has got to be like an editing nightmare, in my opinion, because then we're going to get into the dialogue, which is another place where they did all that stuff. The dialogue, uh, uh, all the stuff in the cockpit, actually was done in a studio in Burbank. They had gotten a vessel from the military and would place the actors in it with like a huge ring around them. This ring would hold the light and they could move it wherever they wanted. This is to get the correct lighting shot, whatever they wanted, if it's reflecting off it and all that stuff. Sun reflection, correct angle. Um, they also had a screen behind it, not a blue screen, but a screen, and they could project actual aerial footage. The way they got this footage was actually pilots just going out and putting a camera on and just getting the footage of like what it was like if they were going behind or whatever in front, all that stuff. A guy named Art, I think his name's Shoal, was the one that would did a lot of this footage, especially the scene where you see the, the, the spin, and it's a big deal. Do you guys know about this guy? He tragically died filming for Top Gun. Yeah. The movie is actually dedicated to him. Um, he was doing, a, I guess all prior to this movie, he did, if you have any aerial footage that you needed, he was the one that got it for you. Um, so he was heavily in Hollywood. He was just doing his routine stuff, and then they wanted him to simulate the spin 
for the F-14 where Goose basically ends up dying and he had a way that he was going to do it and I think he lost control and then they never saw him again. Kind of adds some weight to that scene. It does, yeah, it does, it does, yeah. And they said it was really tragic and yeah. Do we know how? So they said it's very complex. I'm not an aviator expert, but something along the lines where the camera was with his plane, because he's not flying an F-14, he's flying a, 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 you know, just his normal plane that he has. I think he was inverted, I want to say, and tried to spin and like lost. Because he was inverted. No one can see us. Yeah, we're, oh. we're, we're, all, we're all moving our hands. Because he was but, inverted. But like he, I guess, like radioed back when he was at like 3,500 feet or something like, hey, I have a problem. They got to 25, I have a problem. And they had other planes up there, like just in case. And then they, there was like a cloud coverage when they went. They couldn't find him. They crashed in the ocean. I think I don't think they ever found his body. Oh, yeah. Holy yeah. Shit. So it's, it's a pretty sad deal. Yeah, his name is Art Scholl, I think, S C H O L L. So kind of sad. I mean, I can see why like some of the the actual like Navy pilots were a little hesitant to yeah. do just like, oh, hey, go do this. And oh, after yeah. seeing that, yeah. It's kind of freak you I out. I mean, like yeah. you're risking your life every time you're in I never. Seat. They said it's at the very end. I never knew that they, I, I guess I never wait to the very end. I don't know, but they, they, they actually dedicate the movie to him. Um, we went in the financials prior to this because you do have planes being exploded, right? There's no way that they could afford to blow up actual F-14s or the, the MiGs. So um, they obviously had to blow up the planes um, using models. Those are what you actually see. They had models ranging from anywhere from 18 inches to 9 feet, which I thought was interesting. I don't know why. They said the attention to detail, whatever it was. But um, they had both models for the F-14 and the MiGs. They found an undeveloped housing lot in Oakland. Like, it basically had the streets paved and the lots put out so they could easily do whatever they wanted and there was no one around. And uh, they would set up these models and have, like, an actual pyrotechnic group and basically blew stuff up and captured it in any angle that they wanted. Um, They said that they could use, like, the background of the sky and all that because it was up on a hill, I think, if you guys ever been to Oakland, it's on the other side of the bay. And it's like, and uh, Tony actually went up there to like help him out. And he said, look, it, I, I need close shots and use backlighting, which I think was easy for them to do because then they did not need all the wires. So when you guys see the actual full plane, a lot of the times is not in the, the whole plane is not in the frame. Have you guys ever noticed that? And I, I, it's got to be yeah. hard to film this movie in the air. So I get that now. You're kind of like, hey, we'll take what we can get. But he's kind of like, look, it, I want close up shots and, and all that. And that's why they were able to easily do it. I think the one time they did use a string though is when you see the plane spinning and when it was the goose spin out. That was the one, and it was just like dangling and spinning. And that's I, a I film. personally, I hate that scene. And that's a trash of mine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but yeah, that's basically how they filmed all this. Uh, unless you guys get anything, I can get to the locations, which are kind of fun. Get to the yeah. locations. Yeah. yeah, nothing. All right, locations. Other than the planes flying, which we went over all that stuff, um, there aren't too many locations they used. A lot of the shots were filmed at Miramar. Um, you saw that. You see the uh, the like in like the hangars and all that stuff, um, the classrooms, the base. Charlie's house is actually in Oceanside. You guys yeah. know that it's in between LA and uh, and uh, San Diego. The address, if you ever want to just go there, I say we go one time. One zero two South Pacific Street on I five. Yeah, yeah. Um, Isn't it ha- condemned now? Is it? I don't know. I, was, I think I it would, is. I think it's still standing, but it's like condemned. Like somebody owned it for a long time. Like it was like some professional. I heard it was like a tourist attraction for a while. Well, it's it like gated. Like there's like a gate to stop vandalism, and then I read probably. 
four or five years ago that it's like almost condemned. Like, cause wow. the person that was there was like a professional cause it's oceanfront property right. in Oceanside, which is like still like North San Diego County. But the person that like lived there, I don't know if it was like a vacation home or whatever, but it almost got to like condemned status. And I thought they tore it down, but then I did research for this movie and they, they haven't torn it down. Just but condemned. It, so I read an article a long time ago. I heard right. that it moved and looking it up right now. That it moved locations from Oceanside. Like they moved the house? Yeah, they relocated it. I'm just saying that this property is from, though is like Yeah, March legit. 1st, 2019. Top Gun Home relocated to be restored as a new hotel. So at least hotel? there's plans to move it. I don't oh, know wow. the status of it. I'd have to look it up, but interesting yeah they're so i thought it was torn down like that's what i remember and then i looked into it and it was like it was almost condemned so let's go check it out one day right yeah because um, let's go eat some salad let's go cut up some radishes and if it's a hotel i know yeah because like um uprooting buildings is a pretty common thing yeah yeah like i mean even out here in the ie like we've had like buildings that are like historic or whatever yeah they had the the one in etawanda like the oldest house in etawanda they uprooted it and like moved it around too i mean it's common like the bloomington garage they like moved it from where it was to like the other side of the freeway or something like that yeah Yeah. all right going on to uh you've lost that loving feeling scene That was at the Miramar Offices Officers Club in San Diego, like a bar. I think it's called the Mississippi Room because it's different than the other two scenes at the Kansas City Barbecue. This is where you see Great Balls of Fire mm-hmm. and the end scene um, where he meets up with Charlie again. Okay, mm-hmm. have you guys been there? Boulevard. Yeah, I, I have been there. I have eaten I've there. I've been there as well. I have eaten it's, there. But wasn't there like a huge there, fire? Well, yeah, there is. There, there was a fire. Did you guys eat there? Whatever it was. Yeah, I've had I, Kansas horrible. City Barbecue. Did you yeah. like it? It was horrible when I had it. It was just cool that I was there for Top Gun. I had the ribs and they, something else. They yeah. really embraced Top Gun. Yes. Yeah. I think that's the solid That's their bread and butter. The for reason sure. why I'm bringing this up is because when I was there, you know, I'm the tourist guy because I was there for a conference for work and my hotel was like right by. I was like, I got to go eat there. So I went and I'm talking to a bartender. They do have a lot of naval stuff up there. Supposedly there are props. I didn't get into that. I was not going to lie, a little tipsy. Um, but I was, <laughs> I was just talking to the guy and he was just like, yeah, no, this is how the, the movie went down. That's where like she was for the jukebox and all that and he said the writers were in there and this is what he said and I could not verify this anywhere on the internet but he said they were actually down in San Diego writing the movie and they were like how are we going to end this and they're like hey why don't we end it here and do this and that's where they got the idea that's what the bartender said I'm just telling you what he said I could not find anything to verify it but there was a fire going back to, to those scenes those scenes were filmed both simultaneously so you have the great balls of fire and then immediately the end of the movie which kind of kind of weird when you think about it um, but after the release of the movie the restaurant went in to collect a significant amount of memorabilia from the motion picture until a kitchen fire on June 26, 2008 destroyed much of the restaurant. Some memorabilia and props, including the original piano used in the film, survived the fire and the restaurant reopened in November 2008. So yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, the piano is there though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I actually heard a fun fact on my way here that I never knew. I always thought the sex scene was like kind of eerie. Like it was just like this weird blue light that was just like, it just didn't, I don't know. It's like the whole aesthetic of the film I think is beautiful, but then you have that like love scene that's just kind of like ill-placed. It was shot in like this blue light where it's like the silhouette. And I was like, okay, this is kind of like 80s aesthetic. It's trying to be sexy. It's trying to be this whole thing. Yeah, slow motion, just like really oddly lit. I found out subsequently there are two scenes that were filmed after the fact, after they screened it to test audiences. And both of them make so much sense to me because when I look at the movie, they just seem 
So I'll tell you the two scenes. Does anybody have any ideas of what they are? No. One of them is a sex scene, so yeah. that's spoiler alert. And then the second one is when they're in the elevator. Did you know they filmed that after they had like it was like it was actually filmed after they did their whole production and they were like, hey, we need one more scene with Were them you li- not listening to everything I just no, said? I was looking over my notes. Sorry. <laughs> I was making sure I didn't I was like, is there it. an echo oh, in here? Because it's sorry. literally what I just said. Okay, I said go. it was after they tested it to test audiences, yeah. the audience was pissed because one, Tom Cruise never closed the deal, and two, there's no semblance of chemistry between them. So the elevator scene is one of them, and Kelly McGillis actually lost like 15 pounds. She and does was look like, different in that. She looks so yeah. different, and then she dyed her hair because she was on to like the next movie, that's the next role. So that's why she's wearing a hat. And then Tom Cruise was growing his out, his hair out for the next role. So that's why he has a towel around his neck. And so they shot that scene, which I think is legitimately for me. We'll get into it with Trash and Treasure, the only scene where they have legit chemistry. Really? We'll get into it. Um, And then the sex scene were both shot after it had wrapped and they went back post-production. And the reason why they did it in that lighting is because one, she lost a ton of weight and then two, he had his hair long. So that's why it's like silhouette. They had to hide that. Yes. That makes sense. sense. Right. But I always saw in the elevator scene, I was like, why does she look so good? Like she looks looks amazing. She looks like Denise Richards for a second. Right. When I first saw her, I thought it was a totally different actress. She's wearing a hat. I was like, maybe it's a hat. Maybe I should wear more hats. Like, cause if that's what it does to a person, (laughs) let's do it. Like speaking of Denise Richards, she looks just like her from Starship Troopers. Like with the hat, she right? Exactly yeah. like her, right? But I think, yeah. So I always thought that was really funny about filming. So I got a couple other little fun facts. One, the cast. There's a basically these guys are all in their twenties, you know, stationed, uh, not stationed. I shouldn't say that. They were being housed, you know, um, out by the beach, Southern California. I guess it was like just nonstop party. Like they, I think Jerry Bruckheimer would actually throw parties for them, you know? Don um, Simpson right there. Yeah, yeah Don Simpson. <laughs> and they were actually partying with the pilots too and all that stuff. They were actually in the middle. I think it must have been like PB, right? Or La Jolla area and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, where they were being housed up in hotels and all that stuff. Well, I actually heard they Kelly McGillis. Culture. They said it was just out of control. The one person that didn't get to do a lot of this was, was Tom Cruise because he was in basically every scene of this movie. He always had to work. And Val Kilmer ends up saying he never got to play with us which I thought was weird because I heard rumors or that those two guys kind of hated each other secretly during this whole movie is that true do you guys read anything about that from what I've heard you know this is just what I've heard on other podcasts yeah. um, I've heard that Val Kilmer can be difficult to work with mm. 100% I yeah. heard about that on uh, like uh, I think it was uh, the island of Dr. Moreau I think Batman Forever I think yeah. it was difficult to work with so, so you're saying Tom Cruise did not play with the boys no nah. <laughs> You didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Uh, no, I, I've heard that before, like in reference to why his career died in Hollywood, <laughs> because he's just difficult to work with. But I was going to go back to what you were saying about housing. I heard Kelly McGillis actually stayed in the cottage that she shot in Oceanside. Oh, really? Like I, that was a fun fact is she actually loved that place so much because it was oceanfront property well, yeah, that she actually like that stayed yeah. there. But when you think about in reference to filming, like Miramar and Oceanside are probably about 20 miles apart yeah, in which far. Southern California traffic is probably like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. That's that's an easy day. No. That's during non-rush hour. Um, but I heard that she loved that cottage so much, which is why she stayed there. But it's funny because like if you're on base, like and I've been on base in Miramar or like in Coronado, there's like bars on yeah. base. Like they probably had a great freaking time filming. Oh, yeah. um, one more thing I want to talk about after this movie. 
the effect that it had on the enlistment for the Navy. Mm -hmm. Did you guys hear about this? So after the release of this movie in 86, enlistment went through the roof. Uh, Navy recruits actually set up booths outside of the movie theaters while it was playing in movie theaters. That's kind of bad, dude. (laughs) Right, no, I thought the same thing, but that's why I think some of the critics panned it, of saying it's not good because it felt like almost Navy propaganda. That does make a point then on the critics review being as low as it is. It's been as said to have increased recruitment for the Navy nearly 500% during that time. Uh, everyone wanted to be a pilot. Watching the behind-the-scenes documentary of Jester, that guy Michael Ironside, he has a funny story. He described a situation when he was at a restaurant and he could feel, you know when you feel like you're in an awkward moment? That's what he felt like. He said, I just felt like it was an awkward moment. I turned around there's two random individuals just kind of right by him. And he goes, hey guys, what's up? And the guys were like, you were in that movie Top Gun, huh? And he goes, yeah, I was in that movie. He goes, we enlisted because of that damn movie. I'm like pissed off because they were just, it's not what it seems. Like you, if you want to be a pilot, you're not going to go through that, let alone probably ever make it to, I, I don't know, but they, they, right. they were just like all pissed off. So Yeah, they were in love with the uh, the glorification of yeah. it as opposed to realizing that, you know, for anybody in this academy or in these yeah. classes or whoever is a pilot, there's a lot of rigorous training, oh, yeah. studying, learning. You have to do so much hard work to get to that point. Yeah. And, and when you become a pilot, it is work. It ain't just. I mean, like they're we're giving partying. you what is it a seventy-five million dollar plane? Is what these things cost? I thought they're a lot of money. Yeah, I don't know the I mean, exact number, but yeah, I mean, you're basically if you are in charge of the plane, you're signing off. Your name is responsible for the plane. Right. So if something happens to it, I mean, like you are responsible for it. There have been incidences where like things get damaged, and you have to explain yeah. why it was damaged and stuff like that. You are put in front of a board to kind the of the like, jag courts, right? Is that what that is? I don't know if it's jag exactly. Oh, okay. I know there's there might be a step before that before it goes to JAG in certain scenarios, but um, if you are the number one pilot for the plane or like for the aircraft commander, you are responsible for whatever happens to the plane. You got to explain. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of responsibility. It's it's heavy. It's like a heavy load to pay. Yeah, I, I so imagine. if you're not ready for it, or if you're not mentally prepared, if you're just thinking it's all shirtless volleyball and. God, I hope yeah. it's that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they but they yeah. talk about the Top Gun school school being like uh, being for like the elite, and it's yeah. like you know Maverick barely makes it in there because Cougar you know yeah. washes out. So it's like I mean they do make that point of saying mm-hmm. like hey this is not for everyone. This, this is, is for the, the elite Mensa. of the elite. It's the, the Mensa best of the best of the best. Yeah, Cougar Sir. and Andy Dufresne. <laughs> <laughs> from yeah. um, so that is basically the movie but I gotta get into the most important part which Jason assisted me on this is the music Okay, we have to end on the music people always describe this movie as rock stars in the sky and I think because of the music watch, watch the interviews I'm telling you Holly's shaking her head right now but that's kind of what they, they described it as but I think the music does give this movie just such life you know it's such a big I- deal I think it's like 80s encapsulate, like because of the soundtrack. Before like you Jason hear like the synthesizer it, yeah. of like. Where would you rank this 80s. as soundtracks of all time? It's got to be in your top I'm five. I'm biased. It's top 10 for sure. Top 10? I've got top five for sure. Yeah. Probably top five. You're right. Now that I think yeah. about it. What else are you throwing out there, though? I like Night at the Roxbury. I, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I think it depends. Yeah, on you like loved Forrest Gump. You Gump. guys no, loved. No, Days and Confused. Um, Days and Confused. I'm like not going to put it in the same category as like Star Wars or Jurassic Harry Potter. Park. Or right. Stuff no, but like those that. are like, exactly. those are actual like scores. Like that's right. like John Score, yeah. Williams, Hans we're Zimmer. Like yeah. we're talking about like music for the song. Like the only one I can think that tops this for me, like off the top of the dome is probably Titanic. Like original song. Yeah. Because that shit slaps when you're playing it in your car. <laughs> the bodyguard. Wait, 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 wait. 
The music from Titanic slaps. When Celine Dion <laughs> hits that crescendo, I cried when I saw it does not slap. Yeah, if you're saying Celine Dion does not slap, this is the last podcast I I'm mean, doing. Celine Dion is great, but I don't know if her music slaps, but that's a whole other discussion. When you hear that, and then she goes, like hits her Celine Dion epic notes, like do not, Kerwin, this will... Yes, this will not end well. All right, well, I mean, we keep talking about Celine Dion, but I know what podcast we'd be on. And it's about Top Gun, so let's keep it going. What do you you got, Jay? Kenny Loggins slaps. Kenny Loggins slaps, too. I just got to throw in the Rocky IV soundtrack. Oh, yeah. How did I forget that? That's a neck. Almost famous. There's some good soundtrack. You said Rocky Horror? Rocky IV. Well, you loved loved Gump, too. Like, you liked the, the, like, Americana stuff of Forrest Gump. So many classics in there. So... About the music, so it was composed by a guy named Harold Faltermeyer, and he worked on Beverly Hills Cop, Fletch, Tango and Cash. You guys know Tango and Cash? Um, just make sure there's some older movies. That's, a, that's sure. a terrible movie. <laughs> I know. It, it, supposedly he's working on the new uh, Top Gun Maverick as well. And Harold Faltermeyer won a Golden Globe for Best Original Score for this film, so that's pretty I cool. I thought he won an Oscar, too. So the Oscar you guys were talking about earlier but in pre-production was for the song Take, Take My, My Breath, Breath Away. Away. Yeah. yeah, so it won the Academy Award for Best Original Song, and it will, uh, won the uh, Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song as well. So. Wait, so Danger Zone is not an original song? No, Take no. My Breath oh. Away. No. Danger Zone, we'll get into Danger Zone in a second. Blue light sex scene. Lick of the teeth. Ugh. We'll get we'll get into danger. Well, the other song too that they do is the the Top Gun anthem, uh, another original song for the which we hear multiple dun, dun, times. Dun, 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 but before dun, dun, we get into dun. stuff about the Top Gun anthem, there's four key songs that they play multiple times throughout the movie. So Danger Zone, how many times did they play it throughout the movie? That is just I think three. I can't three? believe that. I feel like it was four or more. Well, I feel but like an instrumental, guess, yeah, yeah, the instrumental. So it's three times. Three, okay. I yeah. guess, makes three sense. Times. Uh, Taking My Breath Away by Berlin. How many times? Twice. Did no, it's like four. It's like four or five yeah. times. I'm, I'm going minimum four. I'm I, going two. I'm going they, five. Now, w- not the actual lyrics, because in the elevator, you hear that song, right? Yeah. yeah. The the ele- and then also when she's chasing him through like the hills of San Diego. Whatever. Bankers Hill, yeah. Yeah. So I, it's I, four. Four times. Yeah. Wow. So playing with the boys, only one time. I was, I was that the underrated. most important, more. The most more, important scene of the entire movie is when that song plays. And then uh, last but not least, uh, you lost that loving feeling how many times? Twice. Three times. No. Three, 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 three. Yeah, you're right. Three. Nope, you're... Just twice. First guess is your best guess. Twice. Two times, twice. Yeah. Damn it. When they actually sing it and then when she when she like revisits him at the end at, at the Kansas. End of the movie. Yeah, at You're Kansas. Right. So we kind of talked about this in a um, extra credit, but the Top Gun anthem, it won at the Grammys for best pop instrumental performance. Harold Faltermeyer, um, I'm just gonna call him Harold because that last name is kind of crazy. <laughs> are you guys uh, on a first name basis? Yeah, we are. Harold, what's up? Uh, so Harold composed the song for the film. He played keyboards, and Steve Stevens played electric guitar. Who At- played the gong? <laughs> so it's not a gong. We talked about some extra credits. It's actually a set of bells, and the bells are they're long tubes that are like held in like a wood case that you would hit with a mallet, like it, an organ type of tube. That's the look you would. That's how okay. I would describe it. It's like an organ look. It's probably less than three feet wide, probably six to seven feet tall, but you hit it with like a rubber or like acrylic mallet, and that's the sound that you're hearing like in the beginning. So Steve Stevens played electric guitar. 
Uh, they were both playing with Billy Idol at the time. Um, there's also a music video for this song, um, but there are two versions, one with and without electric guitar. So at the beginning of the movie, no electric guitar. Oh, okay. Oh, but when he and throws his dog tags, that's when the electric guitar yeah, comes out. Yeah, in. then okay. you hear it. So I went back and actually watched the opening scene again this morning. I was like, I want to get this right. And there's, and like, because I love the opening of the movie because you yeah. hear this, you hear the gong or the bells at the beginning. And it's like, it sets the mood, the the orange, like sepia kind of tone. Mm-hmm. It's it's nice. And Dookie then like. the orange. Huh? <laughs> The Dookie Orange. It's Dookie not Orange Dookie. Is a vibe. Bad Boys Dookie Orange. No, no, no. It's Dookie guys, Orange. It's guys, a vibe. Guys, it was Diarrhea Blue. <laughs> Diarrhea Blue, where Mug and I were like, uh, what? <laughs> so I, I love the opening because we go from the Top Gun anthem right into what? Highway to the Danger Zone. Yeah, Danger Zone. Danger Zone. You know, opening up the afterburners and going. Yeah, so. Derner, Derner, Derner. Sorry. I thought you were going to say afterbirth. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this isn't like Aleister Crowley's, you know, Ozzy Osbourne song. We're not doing that one, but uh, no afterbirth in this song. But um, another another band that was supposed to play Danger Zone was uh, Toto. Yes. Um, so Africa. Yeah. Yeah, they did Africa. I think they also played um, backup for Michael Jackson sometimes Weren't too. They also backup for Pitbull. Yikes! In their Africa song. Oh, Please from no. Aquaman? Yeah. <laughs> Ocean Ocean? Yeah. Toto was, too? God, that song's amazing. I love that song <laughs> so do. much. You guys are terrible. I lost respect for Toto, though, when you made that comment, so... <laughs> Outside of Toto, um, other bands that were also approached to play this song for the movie was Brian Adams, but he also wanted his original song, Only the Strong Survive, to be on the soundtrack, but he oh. felt... Oh, okay. Yeah, but he felt the, the film glorified war. Yeah. He didn't want any link to it. Another band was Ario Speedwagon, but they declined because they couldn't put any of their own works into the soundtrack. Corey Hart, not related to Holly Hart, was also <laughs> approached to perform Danger Zone, to which he declined, preferring to write and perform his own compositions. That, that's true. And then he would also um, go on to do Hold On for the soundtrack of Beverly Hills Cop 2, which Hall Tomorrow also worked on. So... Um, so again, in the end, Kenny Loggins obviously performed Danger Zone. Who also slaps. Yes. We've decided. Yes. But according to TMZ, Kenny Loggins has confirmed Danger Zone will be featured on the upcoming Top Gun Maverick. Oh, this is getting better. He did? I, I did not hear that. Yep. Oh, shit. That movie is going to slap. <laughs> that shit. movie is going to slap. Okay. All right. Things slap. Songs slap. Everybody slaps. I'm not sure if it was Wikipedia or allmusic.com, but as of 2011, this was one of the best-selling soundtracks of all time. That sold like nine million copies. Yeah, so yeah. it went uh, nine times platinum. Oh, platinum's just selling a million records? I didn't know that. Uh, that's what, what I'm, getting, I'm out getting out of it. I'm getting out of it when I'm reading this. But you're saying nine times platinum? That's what I got. Oh, shit. Yeah, so it sold so, nine million copies. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It slaps. Yeah, <laughs> it slaps. That's, what, that's what it said. So maybe, maybe it's platinum, but it sold over, like you said, nine million copies. Just real quick before we move on, I just want to kind of go over uh, some of the chart positions of the album and some of the songs. So in 1986, it was number one on the Billboard 200 chart for soundtrack. Uh, It reached number four on the UK. And then for singles, during 1986, Danger Zone made it to number two on the Billboard Hot 100. Take My Breath Away made it to number one. Heaven in Your Eyes, also on the soundtrack, made it to number 12. What song is that? Heaven in your eyes. It does it's not probably slap. does not stop. We don't I know. I don't know. I went back and listened to most of these songs, but I, I can't distinguish which yeah. one that is. And then playing with the boys, 
Only made it to number 60. Damn. Damn. You know, playing with the boys should have made it to 69. That would have been hilarious. Jesus. So, so again, so some of the sales and certifications we were talking about earlier about platinum. Um, so in Canada, it sold 500,000 plus, making it in, in Canada. This says five times platinum. In France, wow. it went two times platinum. Uh, in Germany, it went platinum. Um, but in the UK, it went two times platinum, selling over 600,000 copies. And in the US, according to, I believe this is Wikipedia, uh, it sold over 9 million copies, making it nine times platinum. So real quick, um, do you think that it, it was so popular worldwide because of just the music in general? Or do you think the, the influence of the movie? Because, you know, this is just me speculating, but I find it difficult to believe that a movie that may be considered American military propaganda. You know, many people considered it that, right? That's what it is. Yeah, I, I feel like it's kind of weird. Could, did it's they kinda, consider that back then? Yeah, that's that's what I want to get to. Like, do you think the popularity of the movie internationally made it so? Sure. Because, you know, do you think people around the world were kind of enthralled by an American military movie to the point that they love the soundtrack? Or do you think that the soundtrack itself made itself popular worldwide? soundtrack itself slaps yeah I think it's a combination though of the visual things that you see on camera when these songs are on I mean when I hear Danger Zone I immediately think of the opening scene you know Top Gun Anthem you know you have this the silhouette of Tom Cruise throwing the dog tags other things I mean I think it's a combination of the movie and what you see on camera and then you kind of relate back to it. I mean, I, I think if you were to give this these songs, I mean, I, I know it's a different generation to the kids now, they'd be like, what the hell is this? You know what I mean? Yeah, my, my whole thing is just like, when it's associated with an American military movie or a movie about the American military, like, do you think that had any part to play in it considering that, I mean, you it's know, a, for- It's an interesting to look, yeah, look at it. Yeah. I would yeah. say in certain parts of the world, it probably had a positive play to it and- other parts of the world may have had a negative play to it because, I mean... Your Russia's, your communist yeah, countries, yeah. If, I mean, even to this day, like, if you see someone wearing a, their uniform down on, in, like, downtown San Diego, you're going to get some tourists trying to take a picture with them. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because um, going back to the Marvel movies, like, Captain America isn't called Captain America in a lot of territories. Like, they just call him the Captain oh. because because of the association with you know, the United States and its military. Oh, so it. they, so like in some territories, they remove the America from his name in some territories. So it's kind of interesting to think that, you know, and I know we're just talking about the music, but it's interesting to think that, you know, this album or this soundtrack or these songs are so popular internationally, yeah. especially when these songs are so, so related to a movie about the American military, you know? There's, one thing there's a fascination. Yeah. I think one, that sticks. Yeah. Whether it's good or positive or negative, there's definitely a fascination to the American military. But one thing I wanted to bring up, though, because we're talking about the songs I think we like. I mean, I know, are you guys talking about Take My Breath Away? Because I dated a girl in high school. She loved this song, and I literally bought her the Because you can't just, like, it wasn't iTunes. You had to buy the whole CD. I had to buy her this CD for that one song. And I'm wondering if maybe over in other countries, females just wanted that one song. Because you had to buy the whole... I, I'm wondering if that helped it out, you know? I don't know, you know? Yeah, it might have just... I mean, at the end of the day, it might have just been the popularity of the song. But I yeah. do agree with you, Holly. Like... It's probably just the fascination with like the American military and all that that kind of led in some more intrigue to the overall soundtrack as well. I'm kind of bummed though that Mighty Wings. Do you know that's, that Mighty? No, that's my favorite song on the whole. I, soundtrack. I like it too, yeah. and 
Uh, it's the end song. You guys are looking at us like we just asked you the square root of 2012. So Harold Faltermeyer <laughs> also did this with Cheap Tricks, and yes. I was like, "This is a this." I love this song too. That's so. my favorite song of the whole soundtrack. I was surprised to make it. Up. That oh. is your favorite song. It, when it comes on on my cardio, I'm in another gear. Danger Zone's good. And I was going to say it was like Danger Zone. But, but, you do that? but, but Mighty Wings is my best. It, it's going to get in my treasure. It's my favorite song on the whole. Wow. Soundtrack. Okay, real quick while we're still talking about the music, the opening of Mighty Wings. Sounds exactly like the opening to the Street Fighter of 2 theme. Giles. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. No, not Giles theme, but just Street, oh, you're right. yeah, Street yeah, Fighter yeah. 2. Yeah. Or, or or I think it's like Ken's theme. Yeah. Like it's the exact same guitar riffs as oh, Ken's kinda. theme in Street Fighter. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I see that. Yeah, I put like that together. Wings. I have no idea what this is. The, the, the end part, the you know, when they end. take off, it's at the very end when you have the Top Gun anthem going, right? Mm-hmm. And you have the planes taken off and you have the sun in the background almost. Star Wars ish, you know, like, and mm-hmm. you have them take it off, and it just kickstarts the end credits in the most part. It's just, it's amazing. I didn't know it was a separate song. Yeah, right. I would have associated it with the Danger theme. Zone. Oh, yeah, yeah. The theme, no, it's called like, Mighty same. Wings. Maybe it was like later Don't. part of the song of the theme, but it's the only time that song's played in the whole movie. Right? But it's eerily reminiscent of Mighty Danger Wings? Zone. It's it's not played earlier in the movie. I'm trying to think now. And he's like, how is flying? that different from? Ba-dum, bum, 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 ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. I, don't, I don't know what's going on. Okay, well, we're going to research that. But after. is it also different from? Sorry, Jesus. I'm just saying. I think it's. Yeah. I think it's played earlier in the movie too. But we'll do some research. Oh, you know what? I think it is the very beginning when they're in this Top Gun school. I think you're right, Jay. So, I lost some goose, huh? I, yeah. Yeah. I think that's what. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I Damn think. I, I didn't know it was a separate song. I think yeah. I would have probably just if I didn't know any better. What you need to do is after this podcast, go download this for a dollar twenty nine because it's amazing. <laughs> or you just make go it on Spotify ten times yeah, platinum. Yeah. And then we also need to replay Mug is saying I'm right over and over Jason's on this podcast. Right. Right. <laughs> Best part of this podcast so far. It's going definitely in but, your treasure. But, but that's all I got for the soundtrack. Cool. I'm good unless you guys get anything else. Anything else is? All right. It slaps. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's get into uh, our experience with the film. Holly Hart, why don't you tell us your experience with Top Gun? It's actually interesting because we were kind of talking about this before we even got here of like, when was the first time you saw Top Gun? And it came out a couple years before I was even born. But I just remember like, it's been a staple in my household my entire life. Uh, I don't know if that's because my parents moved to San Diego in 85, I wanna say. They lived in Carlsbad. Um, and then I've lived in San Diego up until the time that I went to college where I met all you Motley Fools. Um, You're but welcome. I mean, we, I grew up going to the Miramar Air Show. I grew up as this being a part of just like kind of everyday living in San Diego. You're surrounded by Camp Pendleton. You're surrounded by Coronado. You're surrounded by North Island, like all the different bases on San Diego. So for me, it's I can't remember the first time I saw it. But if this movie's on, I'm watching it. If I hear Highway to the Danger Zone, I'm getting in the fast lane and going 90. Sorry, mom. But it's something that is just so deeply rooted. I I don't know when and where I saw it for the first time, but I love it every time I see it. Uh, Jason, what's your experience with Top Gun? Yeah, it's kind of hard for me to remember the first time I saw it. I mean, I I believe I watched it first on like a TNT, TBS was on TV. And I saw it like edited and with commercial breaks on the bullshit. And uh, I remember really enjoying it and not knowing much about it. I must have watched it, I want to say... 
maybe late elementary, early middle school times. I can't remember, but uh, I remember going to my dad's and he had it on DVD. So immediately, like I was like, I saw parts of this. I need to watch this full movie. And then uh, I remember just because I was younger, I remember feeling awkward with the blue sex fucking scene yeah. going on. You'll feel awkward. Yeah. And it's just like you sit there and it's like a lot of tongue and it's like. At one point, is she kissing his chest? A lot of teeth. I can't really okay. tell. Yeah, no, no. There's, there's one point where she licks, licks his, his neck all the way up to his chin. Yeah. 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 yeah I just remember feeling awkward watching this. I was like, ugh. And then, uh, but I did like <laughs> all the <laughs> chest and shit. What do you mean, Jason? You weren't taking notes? Yeah, no, I was not. I was like, what the fuck are we doing? Um, no, no, but I, I did like all the jets and like, of course, the soundtrack. But uh, yeah, I again, I, I started watching this on like a some kind of cable channel where it was had breaks and all that and it was edited. But watch it again. For the, in full length on DVD and thoroughly enjoyed it, but that's I I believe that's my first memory of watching this. Uh, my experience, I don't know when I first saw it either. Um, I do remember in elementary school, for whatever reason, Top Gun came back. Like uh, we in just, theaters? No, just oh. we just would play Top Gun at recess for whatever oh. reason. So I don't know if there was like a resurgence Wait, in elementary school. Yeah, in elementary school, we would play. The, is that principal still like employed? How are you gonna play that at elementary school? No, like we would we would just no, pretend it's like a game, like, like on yeah. the playground. Oh, yeah, it's like not like the movie. the movie. Yeah, I was like the silhouette oh, went no, down no. in the cafeteria. <laughs> no, like uh, like at recess. Curran got an education. Got it, got it, yeah, got like at recess, we would pretend to be different uh, pilots and all that other stuff. So. Um, you know, obviously the movie came out a decade prior to that, but I do remember, you know, pretending playing a lot of Top Gun at recess. And then uh, I'd seen the, the movie a couple times, maybe in high school and college, but, you know, I never really watched it over and over. Um, I did watch it uh, this morning for this review. I actually, uh, before I went to bed last night, I was going to watch Top Gun. I just got home from the gym. It was like 1 a.m., and I was like, yo, I'm going to watch Top Gun. And the moment I pressed play, I fell asleep. So I had to watch it real quick at like 7 in the morning today. How did you fall asleep on the opening credits? It was 1 a.m. It was 1 a.m., man. But I wait, but but I did see my little dude giving the fist pump from the extra credits. So I'm happy I saw that. But uh, yeah, that's my experience with Top Gun. Uh, Holly Murphy, what is your experience with Top Gun? Like a lot of you, I don't remember the first time I've seen it. I know growing up, my mom was a huge fan of Tom Cruise. So... Anytime a Tom Cruise movie was playing on like TNT or whatever, we would watch it or at least have it in the background. Recently, I was told to watch it. I watched it. Thought it was pretty corny 80s movie. I loved it. Didn't have a lot of expectations on like the quality of it, but really enjoyed the Goose character, even though he dies, RIP. <laughs> <laughs> loved him so much. I named my dog after Goose. Um, Watched it on the Midway. Like, I live in San Diego, so any reason to celebrate Top Gun or like embrace it, that I know it's really bad, it's really corny, but I think I've embraced the corniness of it and I'll, I own it, I watch it. If I'm bored, I'll watch it or it's like Harry Potter for me. Like, I'll have it on in the background. I enjoy it every time I like look at it. I don't need to pay attention to the dialogue or the script, but if I glance at it, I'll enjoy it. I know. So, and then I watched it again last night for this podcast. So, nice. Cool. And uh, Muggs, what's your experience? I, yeah, I, I can't tell you when the first time was. I'm going to take a guess. I think it was down in Tustin when my grand... Because okay, I'm older than all of you guys here. I was born in 1982, so I was alive when this was made. Um, and I think that it's back in the VHS days, you know, I think my grandfather had the copy when it came out. I didn't see it in the theaters. And I think I remember seeing it in Tustin. 
um, with my family and all that. Since then, I, I'm not lowballing it. It's been at least a hundred times that I watched it. I mean, I've watched it. I think three times this last two days. Um, <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I love it. I have it on Blu-ray, DVD. Um, but I, I couldn't tell you when the first time I ever watched this. I want to bring up though. Did you guys? It might just be my time frame, but Nintendo put out a Top Gun video game. Do you guys ever play this video game? It was really interesting because it was very complex because they put it in the, um, I guess, in the eyes of like an actual aviator. So no one could really pass the first level because you had to actually land the plane. And it was like, it was so difficult. I, I don't know if you guys had an experience playing the game. I hated this game on Nintendo. But yeah, it's kind of kind of a big deal. Was it original play? Nintendo or Super? Original or? Nintendo. Mm. Not Super, it was original. Yeah, I don't think I ever I even it. had my uncle who was an actual pilot. He now works for Boeing, but he was in the military. He played it. He couldn't even land the plane on a goddamn Nintendo. <laughs> Oh, shit. He's a pilot, you know, like, oh, shit. Yeah. yeah, but, but uh, yeah, I, I've watched this many times. Um, I can't tell you that. I think if I had to guess, I think it was in Tustin in my grandparents' house where we all as a family watched it together, but my dad is all about planes and all that stuff. So we watched it after that numerous times. It was just part of my childhood. All right. So let's get into uh trash and treasure. Holly Hart, why don't you tell us what your uh, trash and treasure with this movie is? I feel a lot of pressure going first, but I feel there like I'm going to tick a lot of boxes for you guys as you go in, as you try to navigate your trash or treasures. So let's, let's get into it, ladies and gentlemen. First things first, I never noticed this. The last couple times I've seen it, I've noticed it and it's made me crazy, but Tom Cruise's unibrow Throughout this entire movie, I was distracted the entire yeah. fucking time because I like it cuts to them and they're coated in baby oil and they're just like sweating their asses off. But I'm like, nobody in hair and makeup could have just like, like it's that scene of miscongeniality. Like there should be two like eyebrows, you know. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, uh, I definitely noticed it. Did you? Yeah. And it's just like certain pivotal scenes they'll cut to like Tom Cruise and he's smizing and I just I can't get past the unibrow. Tom Cruise going into the bathroom after Kelly McGillis, that just like assuming shit. the sale. Like in 2019, your ass is getting arrested. Probably in 2010, your ass is getting arrested. Hashtag but like, me too. Exactly. Like when a chick says no, you don't follow her into the bathroom and like assume the sale. She's not playing hard to get. Or? I do appreciate that. Yes, like, it's not joke. mean to. No, it does not mean try harder, Jason. I do appreciate at the end of that scene, she's like, "Oh, your friend is incredible." Yes. No, yeah. she fucks with him. She, like she's she, just like, "Oh, do you think this counter could like?" do it like she like they make it off to be a joke yeah but like if a dude followed me into the restroom not in today's navy no Mm -mm. no Mm -mm -mm. no no um so that was a huge scene um (laughs) a lot of my trashes are just like brass tacks uh tom cruise playing volleyball in jeans and a watch like the fundamentals of him like because here's the thing it's like i understand why he's checking his watch because he does like a full body two-hand flex flex to check his watch but when you're playing volleyball like fundamentals of it is like you're using your wrists and you wouldn't be wearing a watch and i don't know why you would be wearing jeans because iceman and slider are both wearing sweatpants goose is wearing trunks and like a tank top which is like what's his name anthony edwards like come on yeah do a couple crunches take off your shirt let's just make the skins on skins you know um goose is married so Sounds like you just want to see that goose body right now. I'm trying to see that goose <laughs> body. I'm trying to see that goose body. Show us the goods, goose. Another one, and this is gonna, I think you'll understand this, Holly, because we can unite on this, but like Tom Cruise getting to Charlie's house and just being like, I need a shower. Right? To me, just screams, he assumes he's gonna get ass. Yeah. Like, I need to freshen up. Or he's gonna get clean. But okay, gets, but Kerwin, let's walk through the logistics of this. Ass. He gets out of the shower, dries himself off, 
and puts on the dirty ass clothes he was playing volleyball in. Well, she would do the laundry, of course. Or he would do the laundry. You get slapped get right out now. of here. Kerwin said next to Holly. <laughs> I mean, this is not a visual no, podcast, but trust me, the face that I'm making is not no. pleased with that. He's assuming that he's going to close the deal. That's a bold move. I mean, what if he just bold wants to take a shower? Though. I understand that, but like, have- you're already late. You're already late to go meet up with Charlie. Like, take the five minutes, do a quick brush off, change your clothes, and go. But if like, you don't show dinner- up late and then assume the sale and be like, I need a shower. If you're going to put on your dirty clothes, anyway, might as well shower at the beach. Right. Well, yeah. And, you know, I'll get into this in mind, but it's just like, don't play volleyball right before a date. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Don't do that. Please. Exactly. But then, like, check your watch the whole time. It's just bizarre. But, like, don't get to somebody's house and be like, I need to take a shower. It just, it screams that you just assume you're closing the deal. And I think that's why she got, like, no, you're not going to take a shower. He's confident. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 80s are a different time, man. Yeah. I'm telling you. Falling in the bathroom, assuming the sale. Um, I guess he should have done like the head nod too if he's trying to assume the sale. Like, hey, I'm going to, you know, head nod, take a shower real quick. And she'd be like, oh, yeah, of course. And then just, you know. She said, no, she's hungry. He's not a super salesman. My type of girl. Hungry for that dick. <laughs> <laughs> I need some ass. I need some ass. I need some butts. Um, this is probably going to come up in everyone's like the sex scene. The blue light, I mean, as much as we love the lighting effects, but when he licks her, her like teeth, it makes me uncomfortable even saying it, let alone thinking about it. So I think it's just going to be on my trash list. Um, I think the lack of chemistry between <laughs> Kelly McGillis and Tom Cruise is a big thing, especially like the makeout scene after they have the great balls of fire scene with Meg Ryan and with Goose and hit and Carol, who have like insane chemistry, then when you cut to like Maverick and Charlie, and they're she's like, take me to Maverick, me take me to better lose me forever, and then it's like that awkward makeout. Like they have no chemistry. I think the only chemistry that they have is in the elevator, which was shot post production. It was forced. I agree. Yeah, it just it wasn't there. Like there wasn't like a big where I'm like, oh my gosh, they need each other. I'll agree with that because uh, even when um, Maverick spots Charlie at the bar and they focus in on her, I don't feel like there's an immediate connection. I I feel like she's an extra in that scene or it's just like it's somebody that this particular character would not be. She's a random chick in a bar. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel like, oh, this is the one when you first see her. Right, and I think that even translates to the scene when they're in Bankers Hill, like the one that we're talking to where she's following him in her car and he's like, I can't hear you. Like that whole scene after she like breaks down his flight and she's like, I didn't want everyone in that room to know I had fallen for you. And I was like, well, nobody would have known because you two don't have any chemistry. So (laughs) your secret's safe with everyone here. Maverick's punctuality in all aspects. So he was late for his graduation and he was late for his date with Charlie. The graduation scene, I don't understand. Like, why would you show up late to graduation if you're not, if you're going to show up at all? So be punctual, kids. And then finally, my last trash with this movie is Goose's death. I feel like they tried to rush him to be like, get over it way too quickly. Like he's sitting there in his tidy whities He's always, <laughs> which in and of itself is pretty interesting, but like he's shaving and it makes you think like it just happened. And everyone's telling like, you've got to get over it. We've got to get you back in the air. And it seems like it just happened. Well, it did just happen. Yeah, but. and uh, Goose didn't even get a funeral or anything. Right. Like It, it would have been more impactful if we got a funeral, and that's kind of where Goose's wife has that conversation with uh, Maverick, as opposed to Maverick just showing up to their place, and she's just like, you know, he would have flown you know, without you. He loved flying. He loved flying with you. I feel like that particular scene would have been way more impactful at a military funeral. Right. Yeah. 
So I, it just, I don't. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, they need to give us enough time with Goose too, right? And they do. I feel like they do because, like, I go back and rewatch this movie, and I'm like, "Is this the one? Is this the training exercise where he dies?" I, I always like question myself and say, "Oh no, it's not. It's later." And so we don't have a lot of time after he dies to really have that. I mean, yes, they could have made the movie longer. I'll give you that. Right. But if they're we're dealing with these time constraints of whatever it is, like I'm. I well, even like, give us like a like a three weeks later montage or like maybe, something like maybe, that where it's yeah. like a month later where he's yeah. still like struggling and hard to get up into a plane and then it's like, yo, get over it. I understand you probably don't have that time frame in the military. I get that. True. But like for this movie with somebody like Goose who like, I feel like with Maverick and Charlie, like their lack of chemistry and then you see Goose and Meg Ryan's character, Carol, like with all the chemistry that they have and like all like the fun things that like Goose does, like he, he's just like probably one of my favorite characters and then to kill him off and then to be like everyone get over it like you need to get back up in the air you need to get over it kind of thing like I don't know I just I I feel like it's rushed yeah I think if you include a funeral in between Maverick getting back up in the air and Goose's death it'll provide some sort of time because a funerals take quite a bit of time to plan you know depending on the family and also it shows that people have had time to grieve and you can have all those appropriate conversations there and then you can make the assumption that uh flight school or top gun academy uh resumes you know a little while after that but instead you know and you can do that with dialogue you Mm -hmm. can say like oh you know it's been a week or two since the funeral but in this movie uh i think viper or uh, what's the other guy's name jester uh they say that oh yeah it's been a rough couple days and I'm like oh wait so you know my man died three days ago or something like that and like we're already back in the air can we get a service can we have a more meaningful scene where we see uh, you know Goose's wife and son can she have that conversation with him at a funeral because like you said Jason we spent a lot of time focusing on Goose right up to his death it's they're almost telegraphing it where he's on the piano Mm -hmm. Um, they have those conversations where they talk about their relationship with each other uh goose and uh maverick you have uh goose's wife talking about um talking about maverick to uh kelly mcginnis's character and i feel like they're telegraphing so much of his death coming forward that i feel like the next scene that he dies yeah and it's the next scene that he dies and you need to have uh you know an equal amount of denouement if you're gonna have that rise up you know what i'm saying that rise in action to his death so i i just kind of feel like like you're saying jason like they executed it wrong where it's just like can we spend three to five minutes of this movie reflecting on goose as opposed to like a tidy whitey scene you know right they had that they had the tri- they had the trial scene where it was just like you're found not guilty because like you entered a yeah. jet spin even, like it's not your fault even then to get to that point it takes a long time to get there right because they've got to collect evidence i know that i mean in certain situations some pilots will like be selected to kind of like recreate the incident until that point to kind of that's part of the investigation that takes a lot of money time budget constraints on the operational side so yeah I think like there should have been a clear line of yes it's been a while since this incident right they've had time to mourn he's not getting back in the air a few days later right well, that's what it felt. I felt like it the next day like they're that. like, yo, get over it. Get back up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, and like, that's how that's, you feel. Yeah. yeah. That's how today's Navy, I would assume, works as mm-hmm. far as like the aviation community. But I don't know about the 80s. Right. What happens then. But yeah, I, I agree. It felt really rushed. The morning sequence. Especially for when you love Goose so yeah. much. That's the thing. Um, so getting into my treasures. Here we go. Number one treasure, the volleyball scene. Agreed. I just, I, gays and gals rejoice. That's all I got to say about that. 
Um, praise be. Praise does, be. That, does that mean lady boner? I don't know what that means. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> praise be. I think praise be on him. Yes. Yes. Um, no, Out of the I, four, who's the best? Huh? Out of the four. Oh, my God. It's got to be between Iceman or Slider. Because, I mean, it's just knowing what I know about Tom Cruise, like, they... What, like his height? Or I don't no, know. No, they, like, they moved down the net for him to do those spiking scenes. Okay, but, but Holly, Holly, so you could say that this movie definitely has, like, four times the physique. Yeah. Oh, oh, Jesus. Oh, this movie's four times iconic because of this scene. <laughs> um, no, I think, like, they cut to Slider, and Slider's doing that, like... I mean, like, I'm flexing my muscles for those who can't see me but yeah no it's grade A quality like I said Goose needed to remove the shirt and it would have made it cinematic masterpiece exactly exactly alright moving on next um, <laughs> next treasure is Meg Ryan's character yeah. Carol for sure she's only in this scene like three different scenes and every single one she steals it her one liners of like you always go home with the hot women and Goose goes to church like she's just she's amazing or the take me to bed or lose me forever she's the gem like she brings light to every scene that she's in was like was Anthony Edwards that good of an actor or does she carry them as far as their chemistry because they have chemistry well they dated yeah. actually oh, they uh, did. what, I, what I learned is they dated outside of this film like oh, they wow. met on this film set and then they dated outside of it and I don't know if that attributed their chemistry but like whatever they have it's I just the, think she's a good actress. It's the exact yeah. opposite of what yes. Charlie yes. and Maverick have. Like, I think that's why you get so bought into Goose is because you see him with Carol, you see him with his kid, you see him with Maverick. He created all of these things that you're just like, this dude is like kick-ass. He had that serious scene with Maverick where he's like, I'm worried if we're going to graduate. I have a kid, I have a wife. And like, you have all the emotional investment into Goose yeah. and he's Maverick's partner. So I think, like I said, going back to Meg Ryan, I think if this is her first film, it makes sense. All of her success and like the subsequent things that happened afterwards. Another treasure, all the one-liners yes. of this plane. Your your body's writing, your mouth is writing checks, your body can't cash. Yeah. Like negative ghost rider, the pattern's full. Too close for must missiles, switching to guns. Like yeah. I could go on all day because of the one-liners in this movie that I use in casual conversation every single day. Iconic 80s movie. Um, Gotta say iconic. I have to. I love that they used actual planes yes. because like, yes. I don't think it would be the same if they used 80s CGI. Like it just wouldn't be the same. So the fact they use actual planes is a treasure. I think it's going to be an unpopular opinion, but Iceman is my favorite. I know he makes some questionable acting choices like biting at the air in front of Maverick and saying consistently that he's dangerous. And it's it's just, I don't understand, like I think we kind of alluded to this earlier, I don't understand, and maybe you guys can draw upon this as men and your need to be competitive, but I feel like there wasn't a whole lot of buildup between them two. Like I said, that there's a lot of like cross looks in a classroom. Like it's not so much an action that like kid one, yeah. one, like one person or the other. And I understand Maverick's the underdog and I understand Iceman's a golden boy, but like it's bizarre because he's like slider, you stink. And then the next scene is them playing volleyball. So if you didn't like a dude, why are you playing beach volleyball with somebody? All right, so um, this is kind of in my trash or treasure, but um, there is no antagonist in this movie. Right. Like, period. This movie has zero antagonists. All we have is the trophy being representative of whatever competitive nature that these particular pilots or um, these trainees or whatever have within the Top Gun program. And then we have the MiGs, um, and I'll definitely get into that when I talk about my trash or treasure, but Iceman is introduced as a typical bully or rival 
somebody who has just as much skill as our protagonist, but also challenges them, but also has some negative aspect about them. However, Iceman lacks that negative aspect about him. He's not. I was going to say, I was like, what's his negative aspect think, yeah. besides him being like the frosted tips? Yeah, I think you like, know? the older I get, the more I appreciate Me too. what. Iceman brought to the situation like before like I was younger I was like oh yeah that guy's a douche like he's just there to like mess with Tom Cruise he's and like, then, like he brings up some pretty good like the older I get I'm more involved like in my day-to-day job is like operational risk management and now I'm like oh he brings up a good point you, you are dangerous you're putting other lives at stake Tom right. Cruise needs to hear that it's not wrong yeah like Iceman throughout this whole movie is giving him good advice yeah. he's just like hey mm-hmm. you're too dangerous you were showboating while uh, instead of covering Cougar while the MiGs were around you uh, he calls him notorious instead of famous he calls him out for engaging below the hard deck he tells him he's foolish and that makes him more dangerous than the enemy Iceman isn't doing anything to antagonize Maverick this entire movie all he's doing is pointing out that hey you're just as good as I am if not better but these are the things you need to work on so yeah in typical Hollywood fashion he's like a um like a Biff, you would yeah. you would assume he's like a Biff type character, like Back to the Future, but he's not like that at all. Although they set him up to be like that, his character is a pretty rational, grounded, supportive character. I for feel our like he's more of the competitor than he is a bully mm. or antagonist, for sure. Well, I just feel like he wants to be the best, right. and that's like in the scene, like they're like this is our competition. It's mm-hmm. Iceman and it's Slider, like they're a big competition. Goose knew about them, and kind of as he's giving the rundown, and he kind of fits the trope of like the eighties antagonist I guess if you will with like the super blonde like bleached tips super buff like pretty boy almost yeah he's mm-hmm. he's the anti-maverick right yeah I think one of the the biggest things of this movie is that it doesn't know where its central conflict lies is it with the Russians is it about the trophy is it about Maverick's inability to be a team player we have three different plot lines or is it Maverick's fight against the memory of his father yeah there's four different types See? of hills like that we that? gotta climb it's more of a situational antagonist than it is an actual right. like embodiment into a person well that's the that's the thing that he kept hearing so i would say it's almost like you're because people always said you're flying against a ghost up there and it's almost like avenging like and it's brought up multiple times like your last name isn't the highest in the navy like Mm -hmm. like that's held against him i think the fifth challenge would be time management because he's late a lot. (laughs) Yeah. yeah so he has he has these five he has these five challenges that he needs to Six because he's wearing a watch during volleyball, yeah. so he clearly doesn't understand. Yeah, so he, we we got to juggle these, you know, six these six uh, struggles of our main protagonist. But we need to pick one to be the through line. Like something has to be a B plot, and I feel like one of the the issues with this movie is that everything about this movie is B plot. Yeah, nothing nothing is like this is what the movie's about. This is what our protagonist has to go through. This is how they succeed in the end. Oh, and we also have to talk about Goose's death and how that affects him mentally. So that's seven right. things that he's got to deal with. But this is, like Muggs talked about earlier, I, was, I almost said Migs. <laughs> uh, sorry, it wasn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't say it though. I didn't say it. Um, but it's like, I mean, we talked about how this is like a, a movie to promote recruitment for the Navy too. So it's like, are they thinking about all these things while they're doing this too? Seven. They these seven different things. I mean, cool jet stuff that they can show and I mean ultimately that's what this movie's about so it's like yeah they they talk about these they hint towards all these seven different things but do they really explore it no because that's not what the movie's about either so it's not about time management no it's (laughs) definitely not you gotta see it at face value too I don't know it's just a thought yeah and one of the big things 
I, I feel like this movie doesn't know what it's about. It's about this guy going to this training program, but to what end? Like, yeah, yeah. he's going to be a great pilot or whatever, but there's nothing surrounding this event that is like central to this film. True. Like, like, like we said, he has seven different hills to climb. You know, some of them are inconsequential, and then some of them just pop up and disappear and are never brought up again or ever delved into fully, which is kind of unfortunate because I feel like this particular plot is rich. It's ripe for character study, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's so many places this plot could go. But I think to your point, Jason, because they were dealing with the military directly, the Navy, I feel like there are certain things in the plot that they probably couldn't get into because the Navy kind of dictated a lot of what yeah. they could or could not show. I agree. Yeah. All right. So back to my treasures. Uh Charlie's car was amazing. It's a Dylan McKay car, right? What? The Dylan McKay from Nine Two One Oh. Um, Isn't it the well, same I car? Am I wrong? Actual, it's a, it's a it's 19... It's a Porsche, right? Isn't that yeah, what Dylan McKay Yeah, it's a Porsche, has? but it's a 1950s... I'll get the actual, because I wrote I it down. it was the so exact like, same car Dylan McKay had in 9020. I've never seen an Maybe. episode of that. you never seen 9020? Why would I watch that? So it's a Porsche 1957 356 Speedster. There you go. I don't know. I just thought it looked like, it looked like the, the car Dylan McKay drives. The same car from The Kid? Bruce Willis? I never saw that. Oh, Disney movie. Sorry. So Charlie's car, and then finally just the iconic shots of San Diego, like Bankers Hill, Oceanside, like Miramar, all of that I love, the nostalgia. So that's it for me. Uh, Jason, what is your trashy treasure with this movie? Some of mine is similar to Holly's, but I'll just start out real quick with my trash. Um, That freaking bite thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Iceman bites the air? When he bites the air in the locker room. Oh my God, cringeworthy. We're all doing it. Uh, the way that Maverick and what's her name, Kelly McGill, Charlie McGillis, um, when they when they Charlie when they make out on the motorcycle. Yes, that's what is one of my trashes, yeah. isn't it? Like it's just like his mouth is like covering he's like her mouth, sucking her entire right. face, and like her head goes and her hair goes back, and it's just like he's like consuming. It's just weird. I, I, I just, could imagine them saying "cut," and she's like pushing away right after her. Yeah, or just like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Dude, it's like it's like Tommy Wiseau. In that <laughs> it Dude. really is. Dude, it's oh. like I was like I was rewatching it Thank last God I didn't night. See any and I was, well, that's what I'm saying. Even as an adult, like as a kid, I I was like kind of uncomfortable by it because you're just not like used to that. Used yeah. to it. Like it's just like like that's that form of intimacy is not like known to you. But now as an adult, if a guy did that to my face, oh god, it would be game like it, it, trash, trash. Um, this is going to be an unpopular opinion. Mm. I do not like take my breath away. Yeah, I don't like it either. I don't like it. What, hey. what, what don't you like about it? Wait, wait, wait. Real quick. Stupid. Real quick, real quick. I 100% agree with I you. I agree with you too. I did. It was not even supposed to be in the movie, right? They just put that at the very end. Okay, but well, why don't you like it? End. Is it just because like you like a sex scene with no lyrics? You just like instrumentals? Or is that what distracted you? I hate like the whole scene. The song yeah. sucks. The song is the, the, the song, song sucks. The song is the scene. And so when I get to that part, I'll be honest, I just you fast forward through it. Right? I fast forward through it. I fast forward through it every I'm time. I'm like lukewarm about that whole I love the like, song, like, but I'm I'm yeah, I'm I'm impartial about the sex scene. Yeah. Right. I mean like the the song probably could be better, but I mean it's the 80s, My mind I guess. has melded the two and I just cannot yeah. do it. So again, kind of piggybacking off that, I don't like the bedroom scene, the blue light, take my breath away for the third time. I don't like. Doesn't do it for you. No, it does not. Um, (laughs) I don't. I don't like that Iceman won Top Gun. I don't like why Maverick could not have won. I get it. Deserved it. I get it. I just don't. I just like. Oh, I don't want him to win because like. I mean, there is no real antagonist in the movie. I'll give you guys that. But like, if you're gonna pick a you know a 
someone to be that that would be him, at least through parts of the movie. And I just don't like that he won. But we can all agree that Maverick could not have won. I will agree with you. I just okay. don't like that he won. So They didn't introduce like a third party. No, but they like... They're uh, like Hollywood, but they, they, they don't ever focus on them. It's right. Iceman and Slider versus That's, Maverick and Goose, right? Exactly. That's what it is. I'm not saying I wanted some no-name person in the background to have won it. I just wish like... Did you want it to be a tie? A t- yeah, a tie or it's like an asterisk or something where Winners it's like, hey, you, you kind of won. You know? how, how about this? What if the movie, you know, forget the Migs, forget all this other shit, his dad, all this he's, other stuff. He's sitting right like, there. Let's forget <laughs> the Migs, okay? Let's forget the Migs. Okay, okay. What, if, what if this movie, you know, forget all the other crap surrounding this movie, and what if the plot was just about the ace school. pilots at this school and we made Iceman more of a douchebag, right? But, you know, towards the end, maybe uh, he and Iceman have kind of, they kind of resolve their differences or whatever, and maybe uh, Maverick, you know, needs help or something like that, or Iceman wins because something happened with Maverick, and they kind and you know, in Iceman winning, Maverick learns to kind of get over himself. Like, maybe that'd be a part of his arc. Would you be okay with that? Yeah, I, I would be better with it. I just wish it was like an asterisk or there was like more challenges that would give Maverick an opportunity to win. I don't know. I just don't like the antagonist winning. I yeah, it, it would make more sense if Maverick had a moral victory. Kind of yeah. like kind of like remember the Titans, how they don't win at all. Yeah. You know, like if there was a moral victory, then you could get over Iceman winning, I guess. Yeah. But I thought in Remember the Titans, they do win at all. They do? Yep. Oh shit! Well, fuck. I guess I don't remember. You're thinking of Friday Night Lights. <laughs> yeah. Friday Night Lights. You think they oh, don't okay. win it at that Friday Night? Yeah. Well, Got you. Uh, but I, I agree with you. There probably could be more storyline as to like the competition between the two that would have maybe justified one or the other winning. Yeah, I just. I mean, like, I, from what was displayed out there, I can see why Iceman was the winner and Maverick was not. Who but, wants to see the bad guy win? I mean, right. who wants to see that? I mean. I don't know. I guess sometimes well, no. I do. Bad guy looks uh, like Val Kilmer in 86. Especially if, I'm like, with everyone's it. rooting for Tom Cruise in the movie, and then you don't see that win. I, I can see your point, but... Or, like, there's no Top Gun trophy this year because of what happened to me. I don't know. I just wish I just wish it wouldn't have happened the way it did. I don't know. That's just me. And then I was watching this with Elizabeth last night, and she had already watched this with me one time before, so I felt bad making her watch it again. And so this is a trash of mine, my last trash. Um, she's like, why are they all so sweaty? Oh, my gosh, that's one of my... They're all so sweaty all the time. time. But it's not like even, it's not even like a glisten. It's It's, like full blown beads of sweat. sweat. Yeah. And the only thing I could tell her was like, so we were talking about this earlier mugs. We went on the Intrepid. We were walking through that. Oh, yeah. And we're walking through this thing, and granted, it's the middle of summer in New York, so it's humid as fuck, and we're and it's hot, and we're walking through this motherfucker, and it's like there's lines of people to walk through this Intrepid, this aircraft carrier that's like a museum in New York, and we're walking through it, and it's just like we're walking upstairs, these very narrow, very steep stairs, and it's a bunch of people walking through, and of course, as lines do, they stop sometimes, and so we're just sitting there inside the, the air. The air doesn't move. And the air doesn't move. And you're just like, I'm like, Muggs, I'm going to die. Like, is there an exit? And he's like, no, like, we got to keep going. And I'm like, all right, we kept pushing on. And then there's moments where Muggs like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Can we get off? I'm like, no, we got to keep going. And it's just like you keep stopping. And you're like, 
it's so unbelievably hot, so I kind of get it, but it's just like, man, these guys are sweaty motherfuckers. Like, they just sweat a lot. So that was, that's the end of my trash. But they're even sweating when it's like open, when they're in the open hangar. Yeah. Like, and it's just like the volleyball scene where they're like, like Tony Scott was just like, we knew what we were doing. It was basically baby like oil. a baby, yeah, oil, baby all day. oil all day. But I'm saying like in those scenes, it's but it's not even like it's a consistent everyone's sweaty. There's somebody that's like more abnormally sweaty than the next person. And usually it's Tom Cruise. Like, or the like everyone guy. else has like a nice glisten, but then you have Tom Cruise just like dripping sweat. It's like they hit him with that Crisco. Like, <laughs> well, then it's Pam, like the guy, oil. the guy that plays uh, Stinger, the James Stewart Tolkien, the guy that's uh, Strickland from yeah. Back to the Future, the principal. Well, he's like smoking a cigar there too. So it's like it's dim and it's dark at some points, and it's like they're sweaty as fuck. He's blowing smoke everywhere. I'm just like, man, this guy looks fucking miserable. Yeah. Right? It's, like, it's just like awful. But Great yeah, that's Navy recruitment tool. <laughs> yeah. Navy approved all that baby oil. Yeah, so. Come here, enjoy. You know. Um, but yeah, so my treasure, I'll, I'll knock this out quick. Um, opening scene, love yes. it, love it. I love the way it's shot. I like the music, the buildup. I, I love it all. The score and the music, again, I, I just... You mean before Cougar's Breakdown, right? Yeah, yeah. so like, you know, prior to Dan- the, the Danger Top Zone. Gun Anthem, like Danger Zone. Like the four minutes. The yeah, the opening, like, yeah, four and a half, five minutes of whatever it is. Yeah, I, I love You mean like the that. font of the opening? I love it all, Holly. Okay. <laughs> I want to join the Navy after this. Um, <laughs> so scoring music, I loved it. Goose, probably one of my favorites. Some humor, he's goofy, calls Maverick out, I, I like it. The cinematography is is awesome. Um, and then, like I was talking about earlier, James Stewart Tolkien, I just, I just like him from Back to the Future as the principal. And I think he just does a great job of being like super stern, yelling, the bald, glistening dome, just, he's, he's I don't know, he's, he's funny to me sometimes. Um, I like that Maverick in the beginning doesn't leave Cougar behind. Yeah. Something about that, like, I, I, I dig that, you know, he's all about it. He doesn't want to leave anyone behind. Like, he knows he's going through something tough. He, like, is about to land on the aircraft carrier, but just immediately comes back off. I like that a lot. Cool scene of, uh, one of my favorites is when Maverick hits the brakes on Jester, and we see that in the... Uh, the, the new, the, the the new, new one, the Top Gun. The new trailer, yeah. Yeah, the Top Gun Maverick trailer. I, I, like, I like that part a lot. Jester, um, I think he was a good character. Starship Troopers, he was in that too. He's a good character. And then Muggs is probably not going to like my last treasure, but the MIG helmets. I think that the helmets the are cool. Visor, yeah. I just think like they're really like intimidating. They're they're all blacked out. Yeah, I don't like so much like the black with the red. Sorry, I get I get all that, but just like how the front visor part of it, I guess, would look. Well, you hate them just for no reason, huh? Yeah, yeah. but every time they like go on them, it's it's dead. Like it's it's silent. They're not yeah. making any noise, and it's just like this black, super limo tinted visor, and it's like it's just badass. But um, trash and treasure complete. All right, uh, my trash and treasure. I'm gonna start with the trash. Uh, so at the beginning, Cougar tells Stinger that his wife and kid is on his mind, right? After he has that kind of breakdown in the plane. Mm-hmm. So when he looks at the photo of his family, it's a woman and a girl. But he tells Stinger, like, oh, I almost orphaned him. I haven't met him yet. He's talking about a boy. Maybe she's pregnant. Was it, was it orphaned him? No, it was or, him. He says, or orphaned them. No, he says him. Does I thought it? it was them. No, was he, says, them. he says him. Huh. Maybe yeah. she's pregnant, though. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but yeah. But this yeah. is a picture of a girl, though, right? Yeah, it's a yeah. picture of a yeah. baby girl maybe. in that photo. So I, I thought that was like, like maybe a. They could mistake. have been really progressive. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it might change later on. You never know. Gender's gender's fluid. It's, it's just binary. a construct. Yeah. yeah, you know. Also, like Holly said, Tom Cruise following uh, Kelly McGillis into the bathroom. I said, no, no, you don't do that shit. Um, 
how do they But just get- like how he awkwardly saunters in. I'm sorry. We just, I, I need a guy to just elaborate that. He tries to play it off too. He's like, just like, oh shit, this isn't my bathroom. And mm-hmm. aren't there other people around when he goes in? There's other people in that hallway. So like, you don't think anybody would be like, hey, don't, right. don't do that. Somebody. Stop being a creep. No Somebody stop. No. But I mean, hey, yo, it was the 80s. So who knows? We're maybe. not giving it a pass. We're not saying it's okay. Hey, it's not the 80s anymore, but maybe in the 80s they got a pass. Who knows? In 2080, it's still not going to be okay. Yeah. Right. Oh, no, no. I, I would hope in 2080 that it's not okay. But in 1980s, ooh, that was a dark time. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, especially with that blue and black light during sex. Um, I like the music, but I feel like it just cuts in and out. All the time. Yeah, it doesn't have any like natural flow to it. Like I do like the soundtrack, except for Take My Breath Away, whatever. But I feel like uh, the Top Gun theme is playing and then it just cuts to another song. Or Danger Zone is playing and it just cuts to the score. And I I wish there was a little bit better uh, sound editing when it comes to where they want to place the music. Um, Take My Breath Away, I don't understand how that wins an Academy Award over Danger Zone. Danger Zone is clearly the superior song. Uh, Taking My Breath Away is not that great. Trust me, I've heard it a million times. I agree. Yeah. Um, I kind of thought that Maverick being a dick about Charlie's evaluation of him was kind of stupid, considering they just had a conversation about boundaries in the elevator, how she says that she needs to still do her job even though they're kind of in a relationship at that point. So I thought that him just driving off on his bike and, you know, revving the engine so he can't hear her. You're a crybaby, huh? Yeah, I thought he was just being, like, mad immature, even though they just established their their kind of relationship and professional boundaries. Uh, Big trash, goose dying, hate it. I wish there was some sort of subplot with either uh, Sundown or uh, Merlin, where maybe Maverick had to deal with a replacement uh, radar. Was it Radar Tech, right? Yeah. Yeah, he had to, he had to build a new relationship with a new Radar Tech. Like that could have been an arc in itself. That could have been the movie in itself. Maybe Goose dies at the beginning, and the whole movie is him learning to trust somebody else. Yeah. And the fact that you switch out Sundown for Merlin voids that immediately. Back to what we talked about during Holly's uh, Holly Hart's Trash and Treasure, I just kind of feel like there's so many threads going on in this movie that the filmmakers can't just pick one and stick with it. This whole movie could have been about Maverick and his dad. This whole movie could have been about his rivalry with Iceman. This whole movie could have been about his relationship with Charlie and how to keep that under wraps. Um, you know, getting over Goose's death. This whole movie could have been about him being on time or something. Like, <laughs> something in this movie. Can we pick one thing and talk about it? Because everything in this movie is glossed over. There's almost no story in this movie when you really Really think about it almost zero story no antagonist the whole migs thing why couldn't there be a subplot where tensions are high during the cold war and you know migs have been advancing on our position in the indian ocean and all this other shit like there we never even go back to the indian ocean and i feel like that last scene at the very end is just cut in she's like hey thanks for graduating but uh you know in 24 hours you got to be in the yeah. east, in the eastern hemisphere in the indian ocean so i kind of feel like that was just tacked on and didn't, it didn't really add anything to the movie other than Tom Cruise is a team player, but at the very beginning of the movie, we see that he's a team player because he's willing to not land, risk his life to get Cougar to land on, right. the, on the aircraft carrier. But that so, would be real life if shit hit the fan mm-hmm. in real life. Oh, like yeah. They, they would definitely, go, yeah, huh? yeah. Like, if you get called to go, you gotta go. Oh, yeah. And I and I totally agree with that, but I think in terms of a of an overall narrative, they need to pick something and stick they to it. They could have elaborated on that. Yeah, they could have right. elaborated on that or at least 
had a buildup to where, oh, you know, this thing you guys forgot about that we've been cutting to throughout the movie intermittently, now it's got to come to a head. And they and they never do that. And I just feel like this movie just wastes every opportunity at exploring any sort of plot lines throughout the film. Um, everybody sweaty. You know, we talked about that. <laughs> like these guys are Get just some blotting papers. Yeah, on the set. These, these guys are just glistening like an oil painting. It's bad. And then, uh, you know, sundown exists only to get yelled at. Shout out to. But what was it? Here's the thing is like, sundown. he's just there without a pilot. Like what, it, what is he doing? Cause like, I know he brings up like, you've lost that love and feeling like he comes in and sings a second chorus, which gets yeah. cut. But like, he's at Top Gun without technically a pilot. Like what? Holly, he's there to fulfill a quota. He's there. He's there to fulfill. I don't quota. accept. I don't accept that. Well, that's just how life is in the eighties, I guess. Um, at one point, Merlin says, uh, "On your left, three o'clock." Towards the end of the movie, but three o'clock is yeah, to your right. That would be nine o'clock. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. He should have said nine o'clock. And then um, I don't like that Maverick threw Goose's tags into the ocean. He should have given those to his wife. Yes. And kids, young or Miles Teller. Son. Yeah, or the son. Yeah, like why do you throw his tags into the ocean? You shouldn't even have those especially after you saw his wife. But uh, that's that's my trash. Uh, get into my treasure. The music overall is good. I don't like uh, Take My Breath Away. You know, I don't like the way that most of it is cut, but I do enjoy Danger Zone a lot. The score's pretty good. Uh, I love the fist pump dude at the beginning of the movie. Uh, you know, like we talked about in the opening credits. You know, my dude's like doing like the, the knee yeah. kick and, and all that shit. I loved it. Um, flipping the bird, flipping upside down over the MiGs. That was pretty sick. Um, the cinematography in this movie is really great. Yeah. I love how everything is framed, the cockpit shots. One of my favorite shots, of course, is Tom Cruise riding the bike and the, you see the jet taking off. Oh, so yeah. I thought that was really good. And uh, Holly, you brought this up. I think what they've been able to do filming real planes back in the early 80s, the mm -hmm. early to mid 80s. I went back into this movie expecting it to be pretty cheap, but like they did some really serious work in filming a lot of the aircraft, so I did appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. It um, makes such a difference because imagine if it was like 80 CGI. Yeah. Like it, you would look back on it now and be like, what the hell is yeah. this? It'd be terrible. But the fact that it's actual planes and then, then you hear that this whole movie without the subsidy from the Navy like was only 15 million to shoot. Mm -hmm. Like you hear about movies that have like a $100 million budget and they don't have the shots that this movie Movie does yeah there's movies now that don't have these kind of shots right which is which is like astounding uh shout out to november 5th that's my birthday even though that's when maverick's dad disappeared um i can't understand <laughs> what a sacred day i cannot understand why they would just keep that a secret i i get it it's classified you're not supposed to speak on anything that happened to a particular uh, serviceman or whatever but somebody would have told maverick like hey you, you know your dad died a hero or x person died a hero as opposed to oh they just disappeared and you know that's another thing that they don't delve into but that's um, the thing that like kind of trips me for a loop because when we're talking about like character arcs of like he's trying to avenge his dad's death it says multiple times like your last name in the navy is not respected which makes you think that he did some like something disgraceful in the name of the mm -hmm. military but then you come to find out like he was a hero but why would everyone have that misconception? Yeah, and why cover it up in such a way that he's disgraced? Why can't you just say, why can't you just hide the fact that they were in the wrong area and just say like, yeah, your dad was a hero, he did this, instead of 
releasing something that could potentially endanger everybody. I, I don't see any reason for them to opt for the story that he was a disgrace as opposed to just telling some semblance of the truth. Right. It, it makes no sense to me. It'd yeah. be better if it's like, you're, we don't know what happened to your dad. He was a part of the military. We just don't know. Like, I, I get that doesn't contribute to his angst to want to prove himself or like he's flying against a ghost. But like to find out that his dad was a hero at the end of it, it's just like, what? Like, how did that get so misconstrued the entire movie? Or just make the choice. Just say like, hey, your dad was a great pilot or and he was an alcoholic and he left you and your mom and you hate him and you hate the fact that he was so good, but you personally hate him and that's what you've been going up against. Right. Change it change it to something where there's concrete evidence that Tom Cruise doesn't like his dad but the fact that he chose the same profession forces him to confront his dad something to that effect would have right. been would have been much better Maverick's jacket is fly as fuck yeah. no pun intended I, I love that jacket <laughs> uh, that shit was dope uh, the outfits in this movie are on point like uh, whoever's like costume design um, of course you know a lot of these are military fits but I think the, the costume design overall Kelly is McGill's great. shoulder pads yeah Woo. And uh, yeah, uh, I like Iceman. You know, we spoke about this earlier, but I don't feel like he's ever a true antagonist. But I do appreciate that he's kind of a person that's just like, hey, man, I want you to succeed. Let's not be enemies. Like, I'm just pointing out, you know, the facts about how you how you operate. And then uh, I think we brought this up before, but Mighty Wings, the end credit song sounds exactly like Ken's theme from Street Fighter 2, like the opening riffs are damn near identical. So I thought that was pretty hilarious when I watched it. But uh, yeah, that's my trash and treasure. So Holly Murphy, what is your trash and treasure with this movie? You guys covered pretty much everything. I'll start off with my trashes. Um, why is everyone so sweaty? <laughs> that's literally <laughs> the first thought I had when yeah. I saw it, this movie as an adult. But I mean, having experience like taking a tour of the Midway, um, I can see the reason for the perspira- pre- perspiration. Perspiration. Yes, that's a difficult word. Um, the speed romance and cringy romantic scenes between the teacher and the student, so Kelly McGillis and Tom Cruise, I feel like nine weeks is not enough time to get to know a person and risk your career on it, so I felt like that was kind of a trash for me with Kelly McGillis trying to drop everything and say, I I didn't want everyone to know that I was falling for you, because that would definitely be a career killer, seeing as she's in a position of superiority over her student, Tom Cruise. Um, Overall, Maverick kind of being a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Following her into the bathroom, he didn't like her criticism, so he's like revving his motorcycle saying, I can't hear you. Did did that scene not like rub? That rubbed me the wrong way. I was not having it. We've all dated guys like that. He couldn't hear her. I don't understand. (laughs) He's not lying. It's a a loud motorcycle. He wasn't lying, but he was doing it on purpose. So, yeah, that... Overall thing. I, I mean, I really love this movie, so it was kind of personally had a lot of justification for a lot of the um, bad parts of it, I guess. But of course, Goose is my favorite character, so Goose's death was a big trash for me. But I see how it was implemented into the storyline and Maverick's character development. I cover my dog. His name is Goose. I cover his ears and eyes every time that scene comes on. <laughs> he doesn't need to know. For my treasures, like Holly said, the shirtless volleyball scene. Yes. I know, um, so... Uh, Mostly shirtless. <laughs> living in San Diego, um, I know a lot of Navy pilots, and they think that scene is pretty cheesy, corny. Even though it's realistic, they do play volleyball shirtless. When I went to Miramar, there are, like, volleyball, beach volleyball courts on the base, like, mm-hmm. right then and there, yeah. Okay, real quick, do you think that's because of Top Gun? It, maybe. I'm just saying, I went there two years ago, and I'm like... 
hey, there's volleyball courts, you know, right there. It is a beach. I mean, it's not that far. <laughs> Miramar is not on the beach, though. Miramar is still what? It's like 10 miles yeah. then. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. It's but off you, of 15, yeah. 10, but you, 15 don't, miles. you don't think that could be something by association? It's just like, because this happened, yeah. now it's popular. It's kind of like, if like, I'm at Miramar, I'm playing volleyball. Like Cat's Diner. <laughs> like uh, Cat's Diner in New York. Do you think they got more popular because yeah. of a movie? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I appreciate it. We love it. We encourage it, <laughs> actually. Another treasure was, of course, like I mentioned, Goose is my favorite character. He's, I think he's got a pretty well-rounded personality that's displayed in the movie. And then again, Goose's wife, their interaction, their chemistry, big treasure of mine. And then again, I agree with Holly Hart here, Iceman, revisiting the movie as an adult and um, having a different frame of mind. Um, I do appreciate Iceman. I think he's a treasure. He brings some good constructive criticism to the table to Maverick's character development. So I know he's technically supposed to be the bully, the rival, the non-obvious antagonist, but I think he he's a treasure. And yeah. I appreciate his character. As an adult, you can be like, wow, he really follows the rules for everyone's safety. Like, yeah. When you're a kid, you're like, what a buzzkill. And yeah. then when you're an adult, you're like, we need this guy. Yeah. You just think he's hot, Holly. That's all it is. I mean, mm, Holly Murphy, not right? Not Holly Hart. <laughs> no, I, was, I was speaking to Holly Hart oh, at that point. 80s Val Kilmer. <laughs> 80s yes. Val Kilmer. Okay, so yes. both Hollies then. Okay. <laughs> he could get it. He could get it. And yeah, that's, that's what I have for Trash and Treasure. Mugga, what do you got? Here we go, huh? I, I hate the elevator scene. I don't know why. Why? I, I just think it's. I think that's the only scene where they have chemistry. Like, work. please correct no. that. I think um, the whole and then the elevator. chemistry between them to piggyback off that, I think, where she's asking him to take her to bed or lose forever. It works with Goose and I don't even know. Off the Meg top Ryan, of yeah. Carol. Well, I know Meg Ryan. Okay. Carol. It does not work for them. It's no. awkward. And then he starts sucking her face, and it's just like, just it's get like to the leech. plane, you know? Yeah. Um, just I, get to the point. But I have yeah. to ask you, Mugga, if we're, if we're saying like the elevator scene doesn't work for you, what other scene in this movie makes you believe that Charlie and Maverick have a romantic connection at all? I don't think, I don't know. I don't, I just, it didn't because do Because they're uncomfortable. They like we can all agree yeah. the sex scene where he's like licking her I can mouth. see where they like choose not to use an elevator scene, but I feel like that's the only one in the movie yeah. that would apply towards that situation and it doesn't. Yeah. No, I'm just talking about the acting in general because she's looking at him. Like, you can kind of see, like, he walks in the elevator, he sees her, he's like, oh, shit. There's like, that whole trope of, like, man and woman having sexual yeah. tension in an elevator, though. I don't know. I right. think it's overplayed. But, but I think even but, when he was at her house, like, there was such a lack of it. Like, he was like, what about the wine? I, I and think it's, like, the house right in I was, front of I was, him. The house I was okay with. I thought they were, like, doing their indirect flirts. I'm going to go take a shower, you know, and he just said it twice. I, I get that. I just didn't like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like it. Okay. Um, like Jason's already pointed out, they play one song multiple times. I mean, when there's a, supposed to be a connection between, you know, Kelly McGillis and, and Tom Cruise, they play Take My Breath Away when you're going up sky. That, you know, I, I don't know if I like that, but I'll get into why I love the music. That's part of my treasure. Iceman's gum chewing or whatever, bite in the air. I don't, whatever it is. I don't, I'm surprised you can't say this. At the last dogfight, though, and I know they're strapped for footage because they can only do so many things, but. There's one clip that they show three different times. Mm -hmm. They called it a scissors roll, and it's where the F-14 kind of barrel rolls out of where there's three other planes, MiGs, behind it. And they show that thing three times in the same dogfight. And I'm like, it's the exact same. I know they only could do so much. Mm -hmm. I just don't like that they used it three times. You guys didn't notice it? Mm -mm. The end dogfight, there's one clip. They show it three different times. And I'm just like, 
all right, whatever, you know. I didn't notice it, so. So, yeah, I, I'm nitpicking because now I'm going to get in my treasure. Love the music. Um, you guys talk about other songs. I, I think I'm with Jason this. Ann Kerwin, Mighty Wings is my favorite song of this whole, like, movie. I, I, I don't know why. At the very end, it, like, kind of caps it all off. I do like the Top Gun anthem. Um, I've bought in both of those songs. The volleyball scene, physiques, we got I, I, whatever. But we went to uh, Hawaii and we actually, I bought the song, right? We played it playing volleyball in Hawaii. I'm surprised you guys didn't bring that up. You, you TJ and Jose, right? I mean, hey, man, I was, yeah. I was too busy playing with the boys. There you man. go, there you go. <laughs> I, I had it on repeat and no one complained. I think we listened to it like 10 times in a row when we were playing volleyball. Uh, Viper and Iceman, I think, are just great characters. We all talk about, but I, I think Viper is very great. I mean, he really is the that mustache guy. man. So to go back on the cast, I think they uh, they nailed every part, and a lot of the treasures we're going to say visually and all that stuff. I, I think Holly, you talked about quotes, and I can completely agree. One of my favorite quotes, and I had to put it in there, is when I, I don't know his name in the movie, but he's the principal in Back to the Future. What's his name? The guy. Oh, uh, Stinger. Yeah, yeah he, 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 first of all, he calls Goose an asshole. You asshole, you're lucky to be here, right? You know, all that. But but then he says to, to, to Maverick, you know, you screw up just this much, you'll be flying a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. Hong Kong yeah. That's my favorite quote of the whole movie. I just I don't love know it, because he's got a cigar yeah. in like every scene. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, but we touched on everything, but I, the fact that he used real planes and all that, it was great. But yeah, that's my uh, trash and treasure of the movie. Let's get into ticket prices. We're going to tell you how much we would pay to watch Top Gun. So, uh, Holly Hart, how much would you pay to watch Top Gun? I think with this movie, I mean, even plot holes, lack of character development, everything, this movie is top, easily top 10, possibly top five for me. So I, I got to give it 15. I have to. All right. So 15. Jason, how much are you paying to watch this movie? I think I'm right there. Um, can't give it quite a 20. But I think 15 just, I've seen this movie so many times. I, I enjoy it every time I watch it. It's one of those movies, again, we've talked about many times, those like hungover Sundays, you're kind of laying there and it comes right. on TV and it's like. You're not you changing it. You ain't changing the channel. <laughs> uh, creepy, blue, fucking sex scene or not, like you're going to watch the whole fucking movie. And uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go I'm gonna go solid 15 on it. All right. Uh, for me, I mean, it's funny. There's a lot of nostalgia attached to this for, I think, a lot of people at this table. But I mean, like I, I've never been wholly attached to this film. I'm gonna give it a solid ten. Solid. A 10. solid ten. Like I, I don't hate this movie at all. I don't dislike it in the slightest. But, but I, what? But what stops you from giving it more? I, I think it's just. I think it's because it's just a movie you leave on in the background. Like it, it doesn't make it doesn't make me want to sit and watch it every time. It's not like oh yeah, we're gonna watch Top Gun. Like the way Rocky Four makes me feel. The way I would agree. The way like uh, the way the Dark Knight <laughs> makes me feel. Like it's a movie that's that's on. And I might watch it. I might let it play in the background, but it's not a movie like a Rocky Four where it's just like I'm watching this. Like I, I am sitting and I'm engaged and I'm watching this. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna give this movie a solid ten. It's good. There, there are a lot of faults with it, but I can overlook it because it is a fun movie. But it's nothing. It's nothing that makes me say, "Holy shit, I love the shit out of this movie." But that's just me. So ten bucks. Uh, Holly Murphy, how much would you pay to watch Top Gun? I think I mentioned it's. Probably like one of my favorite movies. Um, not for its substance, but I think more for the nostalgia and I can definitely have it on in the background. I think those that's a plus for me. Like I can always like look at it, be entertained, and then like don't have to pay attention to it because I've seen it so many times. But I think I would probably give it a solid fifteen as well. It's 
not quite a 20 because of the substance. I know it's like cheesy 80s and I love that about it, but that's also its fault too and why I'm not giving it more. But it's definitely entertainment. Keeps me engaged when I want to be engaged. So 15. All right. And uh, Mugs, how much are you paying? You guys are interested in this one, huh? Yeah. I, I would have given this a 20 right off the bat. Then I started doing research and mm. the critics, the Eberts, and you look at it and you've watched, I've watched it three times and it made me think, you know, and then I text you guys last night, is it bad? The more research I do on this, finding out stuff was post-production, all that stuff. I, I was like, is it bad that I'm dropping, you know? And, and Kurt was like, well, you know, like it is. What it, so I put it on again last night, you know, and I was like, fuck that. I'm giving it a 20. So I gave it a 20. And yes. uh, yeah, I just, I, I never get sick of it. If you put it on right now, I will enjoy it. And I, yeah, I, I, I love this movie. It's in my top 25. And I, there are flaws. I get that. But still, though, I think the stuff that is great outweighs it. And yeah, I'm going 20. So I love that. with that, I think uh, everything together, we kind of offset each other, Kerwin. We're going to give this a solid $15 that we're going to see. Hey, that sounds good to me. Yeah, I'm yeah. fine with that. Yeah, yeah. I'm cool with that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was close to giving it a 15, but yeah. watching it this morning, I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm having a great time. It's like Mission Impossible for yeah. me. Like, I, I enjoy the hell out of it, but it's just like, you know, if somebody asked me to pay to go watch it, 10 yeah. is what I'd pay to go see it in a theater. Is that why you didn't go when I invited you on the Midway? Okay. Dude, I would love to see this movie on the Midway. Okay. First, like first, of all, first of all, first of all, I was at LA Comic Con. We had, you invited the wrong Scorpio. We had... Kansas City Barbecue. We met Ooh. Peter Pettigrew. Okay. I told these guys about it. I told these guys about it. I even it. met the um, the official impersonator of Tom Cruise. Oh yeah, I saw that photo on your Instagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I I already had tickets to LA Comic Con, so I couldn't bail. Like mm-hmm. I I couldn't bail mm-hmm. that day. That's how I met Tommy Wiseau. So mm-hmm. I mean, oh, okay, fair. It, it, it kind of offsets. You had to trade one Tom for another. There you go. Hey-o. But uh, speaking of Toms, uh, can I go first? I don't want you guys to steal mine. Yeah, do okay. yours. Do so yours. real quick. Tom Cruise is in this movie. This is what started Tom Cruise. Yeah. I mean, I know he's in Risky Business, Cocktail, but this is what put him as the A-list, right? Can we all agree with that? Maybe. It yeah. made him an action star. Yeah. Once he got two eyebrows, yes. Yes. So uh, Tom Cruise is in this movie. So whenever we have a movie with Tom Cruise in it, we have to find somebody to replace him. So Mugga, if you had to replace Tom Cruise with any other actor, any, who are you picking? It could be any actor, right? It doesn't have to be in the 80s, right? Any actor you want. All right, man. I'm going 90s version, Keanu Reeves in Speed. Love it. Yes. I love it. Come on, tell me that wouldn't work. <laughs> not not Matrix, Keanu Reeves. I'm talking 90s like how, Speed. I, speed I, I, and I don't know if you know this, break. but how tall is Keanu Reeves? Pa- point Break and Point Break. <laughs> He's tall t- enough. Mm-hmm. He's how tall taller is than he? Tom Cruise. All right. Can, I'm can, sold. Can, can <laughs> we bring the douchiness that Tom yes. Cruise brought? Yeah? yeah. I don't know. I, I, I want to go Keanu Reeves. Okay. okay. You know what's funny? Every time I watch, I feel the need, the need for speed. I expect them to cut to like Sandra Bullock <laughs> and Keanu Reeves on a bus. <laughs> and then the rest of that movie plays for the rest of the film. Uh, Jason, who are you replacing Tom Cruise with? So I'm in a different camp. I was thinking like actors that time, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and so, I did the same thing. So I'm thinking like, I, you're not so gonna, you're not, alone? no, I'm thinking, oh. I'm thinking Bruce Willis. Like oh, die, oh. like, Damn it. like die hard, like original die hard Bruce Willis. Yeah, no, that's like, what I was thinking too, but now I have to change mine. Like kind of goofy, kind of charismatic, but just like, like a, he's like a badass dude over, over and just like does like, always, yeah, exactly. yeah, always the extreme, you know? So I feel like he might've been able to play that role. I don't know, I'm thinking like that time period, I'm like, okay, that John McClane, Bruce Willis die hard, he could, he could be Tom Cruise in this. Okay, so I actually have two. My first one, I would say Charlie Sheen 
for Maverick. <gasps> That's a good one. You know, he wanted to be in this movie. Oh, shit. He was 18 years old and wanted to be, and they just thought he was too young, I think. But he yeah. just wanted to be like an extra. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I would, I would go with Charlie Sheen, or I would go with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Cause Ooh. like you could you could have him play Maverick and this would be like a prequel to Street Fighter because Guile is in the Air Force in the video game so that'd be pretty hilarious. But those are my picks. Holly, what about you? Following along, Charlie Sheen. I originally thought Bruce Willis, but now just marinating on it, I would say Emilio Estevez, Charlie Ooh, Sheen's brother, the Mighty Duck guy. Mighty Duck guy. And I was like, Emilio. Is it because of the flying V? Yes. <laughs> yes. No, but I think like he brings a certain amount of angst to the character, and he's also like all American like that whole thing that would like totally embrace Maverick he'd be the great antithesis to Iceman so he just kind of checks all the boxes and he's probably taller than 5'7 so Jesus All right, uh, Holly Murphy uh, who do you got? I'm going more along like 80s male leading role I saw Patrick Swayze and I want to go with it one he would look great in Summer White's yeah, um, <laughs> his physique. His, his he's physique. Got the physique. He's got the, the road, man. The roadhouse. Roadhouse. Yeah. yeah. And I think dirty dancing. Yeah. Yes, he, he can bring a little bit of the douchiness that Maverick's character had to it. I, I can see him in that role. I know he's a little older, but um, I could still see him in that role. Be interesting. Okay. Cool. So I mean, yo, this is it for Top Gun. Yeah, you'll hear from us when uh, Top Gun Maverick comes out. Uh, over the summer this year, 2020, and uh, in the words of Tom Cruise, I want some butts. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of $20 Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20 Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20Ticket at gmail.com. That's two zero, the numbers, $20Ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and thank you for listening. Long and you know, distinguished. Yeah. <laughs> like my Johnson. Like my Johnson. <laughs> my name's Carolyn. I don't watch yeah, TV. Like I, 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 I only like movies. I only like movies. That's all I have time for, guys. That's all I have time for, guys. I tried watching some shows. <laughs> I tried watching TV once. It was a terrible experience. Bitch, I'm a baby. I hate that fucking song. You love it. I love that shit. Do we decide if he's Dub Baby or Little Baby? No, no, there's Lil Baby and Dub Baby. Which one is he? Lil, does that? Lil Baby. Lil Baby, all right. You gotta take out Tom Cruise nope. and put somebody else in. Nope. Um, oh, ooh. Yeah, that's that's what we do for Tom Cruise movies. Ooh. Yeah. Um, that's, I don't know who else could. Who's a. It's gotta 80s. be someone taller. <laughs> ooh! Who's, who's the, the highest? Who's the highest? You are. You I are. know I am. Um, I know it's me.